five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Are you ready to level up the podcast for leaders, entrepreneurs, and business with your hosts, Jose Medina and Crystal Garcia? It's time to level up. And we're back with season two, episode five of the Undeniable Level of Podcast. And uh, for those of you who missed our last episode, we had a chance to introduce and speak with AJ Franco, a very close friend of ours. And we discussed um, how to fake it till you make it. AJ shared some of his personal stories in terms of how he achieved success and how he went from driving a forklift in a warehouse uh, to actually running his own facility and you know going from a warehouse associate to a general manager of a Fortune 500 food distribution business. Just a great story to hear. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, I highly encourage you to go check that out. Today, we're here to discuss how to handle stress like a boss. Unmanaged stress is harmful, harmful to the point that your health can be impacted negatively. Symptoms like headaches, back pain, fatigue, lack of sleep, all of these things can wreak havoc on your body and cause you to have trouble concentrating and pull your focus away from critical tasks. It can cause obesity, increase blood pressure, lead to heart disease. Uh, stress can literally kill you if you don't manage it. Uh, and stressors come from a variety of directions in our day-to-day lives. We experience stressors on the job. We experience stressors at home with family, with friends, with relationships. Stressors can come from your finances and from even social media when you're paying attention to social media and the things that are going on in the news, such as uh, inflation and loss of jobs and a bad economy and COVID-19, all that can cause stress on a person and cause you to have physical reactions to that stress. So there's no shortage of stressors in our uh, day and age, and your ability to handle stress is critical to your success. And to speak about handling stress like a boss, we have a very special guest today, Jules Johnson. Welcome to the show, Jules. Thanks for having me. Jules definitely has a high-stress job. As the assistant district attorney for the Harris County in Houston, Texas, Jules' primary focus is prosecuting police brutality complaints, police shootings, and other police crimes. With the level of coverage that we've seen when it comes to these unfortunate events, you can only imagine the level of stress that his job puts on his shoulders. So, Jules, did you grow up in Texas? Like, kind of tell us about your... Tell us about you. (laughs) I'm actually first-generation Texan. My mother's Bahamian from Florida, and my dad is from Mississippi. They, oh, wow. they met in college at the University of Florida. Then my dad ultimately went to Baylor College of Medicine, which is here in Houston, so they right. ended up moving here. And uh, that's when, you know, that, so I was born here. So me and my brothers were born here. We don't have any other family that's from Texas, but we were born in Houston. We lived, I've lived in Houston my whole life. My mom is in the legal profession, and um, she was an attorney. And as I mentioned earlier, my dad's a doctor, so we've we've been here. They've been establishing relationships, you know, my whole life here in Houston, and kind of in along lines of today's topic. Like I've I've seen, I grew up in, quote unquote, a high stress household based right. on my mom's job and my dad's job. So kind of been something that I've been dealing with forever. So I go to high school here, went to college here, went to law school here, and then when I got out of law school, I went to the Brazoria County District Attorney's Office, which is down in Angleton, um, left there and started my own private practice. And I worked there for a while until we had the, uh, finally, in the, like the, I don't know, fourth largest county in the nation or whatever it is, um, we finally got a public defender's office in Harris County. So when that opened up, I went there and became part of their inaugural trial bureau, felony trial bureau. I was there for a little while 
went to the federal public defender's office. Mm. And then from there, I was recruited over to the Harris County District Attorney's Office, which is where I am right now. Our relationship started through jujitsu, and I know that's um, something that's very dear to you. You're a jujitsu black belt as well. Were you in sports in high school or in college? So I played, you know, ran a little track, played a little football, played a little basketball because those were, you know, that's, I mean, just it is what it is. Black kid, that's what you did. Like, you, right. You play sports. Like, yeah. that, those are the sports you played. Like, and I didn't play lacrosse or rugby or anything, bad, right. badminton or anything like that. Um, because of playing the sports, I don't know. I was a league bowler for a couple of years. Okay. <laughs> so, so I did have my, but there was always like the competitive drive and competitive spirit. And because my dad, my grandfather on my dad's side was a farmer, but not like a regular farmer. Like dude, when my grandfather passed, he lived in a house on a farm that didn't have any indoor plumbing. Like wow. he was a farmer farmer. Oh, like he was like, <laughs> like a farmer, like yeah. I'm talking about into, into 2000, he had no <laughs> indoor plumbing, right? Wow. So for my dad, like there was always that like, we have to keep going. So that always, I mean, it sounds weird, but it was always like a competitive spirit because this is just not enough. Right. Like what's next? Like this is not enough, what's next? Yeah. So That hunger. Yeah. Did you think that you were gonna get into um, the legal field initially? Or was that something you kind of made? as you were going to college or? So this is so weird, right? My dad's residency and anybody who knows anybody's girl, like like medicine is hard on you, yeah. especially when you have like young kids. Like I remember my dad getting up and his pager going off, um, him, him, him getting beeped in the middle of the night and having to get up and leave and go to the emergency room or, or wherever he was going. So I spent a lot of time with my mom who was a lawyer. right? And so I was always around I was always around her friends. I was always in her office when I was little growing up. So I was always, I was always around it. And I remember one day when I was 12 years old, Joe, you're laugh at this. So <laughs> I was 12 years old. My mom was taking me to school and she was like, well, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And my mom has a way, she has a way with talking to people. And um, I was like, well, I either want to be a corporate lawyer or the head of my own crime family. <laughs> like, like that's what I told my mom and mom was like wow she was like well you know she just has a way of explaining things where what she doesn't want you to do just doesn't seem attractive without telling you you don't want to do that yeah. that's, that's not She's attractive. a master of persuasion yeah. oh, and, and, so, and I remember thinking like yeah I probably don't want to be in my own crime family <laughs> you know, so, so but then it was through so it was always kind of law and it was always right. corporate law but I get to law school and, and I'm dealing with all the law school nightmare. And then I finally found trial advocacy. And that's when I, I was like, oh, I, I like this. Right. So I like being in the courtroom. I like talking. I like this part. Didn't really matter what I was talking about. Like I right. talk about anything. But it was just talking and being in front of people. So it went from law in general to very specifically like put me in a courtroom and let me talk. Yeah, you found your niche. Yeah. 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 No, that's cool. really good. Now, when you were going to law school, what was the stress level like in law school? It's got to be super challenging. School all all the way up through is like super structured. Like, right. you know, you got 45 minutes for English and 45 minutes. And then in college, they, they really relax everything. And, you know, you go to class if you want to. But in law school, especially that first year of law school, like you don't even get to make your own schedule. Like it's, it's just like these are your classes. 
this is what you're going to take and this is when you're going to take it. And it's designed such that you can't work, you can't do it. So they'll, they intentionally space the classes out like like two and a half hours. Wow. So you have to take like three classes a day, but you have to take two and a half hours worth of classes, two and a half hours in between. So you may have one class at eight and then eight in the morning or nine, and you have a class at 11 and you have another one at three and then you have another one at 5.30. And so it's like, so you can't, you know, you can't get that job. And the one you have at 5.30 is, that's an hour and a half lecture. So they intentionally like throw your schedule off. So you have to deal with, you know, okay, I need to get a loan. I need to, you know, eating ramen noodles every day, right. um, you know, that type of thing. So, and then they tell you for every hour of class, you have to study for three hours. So, and that's what they tell you going in. So your thought going in is like, man, I've got 10 hours of class a day, which means I have to study for 30 hours today. <laughs> right. right? Like, like, like they're really like, they're, I mean, they're, they're freaking you out. Yeah. And so law school can be such a stressor on people that I know people that a completely wigged out and just like, like dropped couldn't, and just couldn't, couldn't do, do it. it. I know people that like went heavy to, Adderalls and cocaine and all cut just to stay up to be able to to do whatever they what they thought they had to do. So it, yeah. it law school can be super stressful. Uh, and, and I've watched like uh, like law movies where like you have students going through law school and how intense it is in in terms of you know your training and your education and so so I know that's super stressful. So you're saying it's like the movie. Well, I'm saying that's my <laughs> that's my exposure on my side. Uh, you know, it's it's really cool that you found your niche, and then, and then once you left, and from all your jobs that you had from the time that you graduated and you pa you passed the bar and you got to the point where you are today, what has been the most stressful job that you've had in that span of time? One hundred percent, criminal defense. One hundred percent, because when you're a prosecutor, or when when I was doing general counsel work when I was in like. You're dealing with money or when you're a prosecutor like like i have control over oh i want to file this charge i think it's a good charge oh wait a minute something came out this charge doesn't look as good as it used to be i can just dismiss the case right, right. Like, I, like i have control over what i can do when you do it with criminal defense a you have no control over it. it's up it's up to the client if the client i don't care how good the deal offered by the state is or whatever it's up to the client whether or not they accept it right and so you feel kind of powerless because you're trying to negotiate what's the best for this particular person and not just for them, but for their wife, for their kids, for, for their future, for, you know, you're trying to do all this negotiation and you really don't have any control over it. So you sit there and you're trying to explain to somebody, true story. I won't use any names. This is a true story. I represented a guy who was charged with theft and he was on parole and this theft was a level of theft that would have enhanced him to a felony. And if, because it was enhanced to a felony, he would have then been 25 to life. Okay. Wow. So this is a huge thing on him. And we're sitting there and we're looking at the video and it was an employee theft. So he was accused of stealing from his job and security cameras at the job. And you can see on the security cameras, his face looking directly into the camera <laughs> when he steals, you know, when he, when he stole the money. And so I'm sitting there and I'm talking to him and I'm like, you know, this is, and he's like, no, nah, it's not me. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, so, so we're, we're going in and you know, the, the prosecutor was a good friend of mine and it was, 
this was what's so bad about it. He was looking at 25 to life on like a $500 theft. Wow. But wow. because of his enhancements, it bumped up so high. And so it's like, God, you got to be kidding me. So in Texas. Just, so without enhancements, would it have just been like grand larceny it, and like a well, misdemeanor? It, it, still, it still would have been, it would have, without any enhancements, if this would have been his first theft, it would have been a class B misdemeanor. But because he had multiple prior thefts, it goes from the misdemeanor to the felony. But then because he had the felony prior convictions, he's not a habitual felon. And it's like, dude, come on. So we're sitting there and prosecutor was a good friend of mine and prosecutor was like, yeah, I get it. It's 500 bucks, like whatever. You know, he plead guilty, let his parole, the parole will do whatever they want to do with him. We're not going to, man, I don't care. So we're sitting down and he's like, it's not me. And I said, so the day of trial, and we went to trial on the case, but the day of trial, I'm sitting here, his wife is there and I'm still like, dude, this is a good deal. Like, why do you want to risk going to trial? And we look at the video with his wife and he goes, I'm telling you, that's not me. And his wife looked at him with the most astonished look on because <laughs> it was so plainly him. It was like, I mean, right. this was a private security camera. It was a good camera. And he was just like, oh God, but you're powerless. And now I'm working with the rest of this man's life. And I know that I'm, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I do. It, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Somebody probably told him, don't say nothing. Deny everything. Yeah. <laughs> no. Stop watching TV. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely have to listen to your lawyer, that's for sure. Um, it's funny that that situation sounds like it was more stressful for you than it was for the individual that was, you know, facing the time. Like, So it is because he's making the decision, and you, you go to your lawyer for, like, advice, and you're trying to stop somebody from making a mistake. Right. And then when they're not listening, you're just like, like you're trying to hit the brakes, you're trying to stop them, but you can't. Right. So it's almost like being on the other side of the glass wall and yelling stop. Or like when you like, you know, how you watch the movies, you're like, don't go in there. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and you can't do anything about it. And <laughs> and even though you're right there and you're hands on with the person. And that's that is by far the most stressful thing, because I can't stop you from making this mistake. And it's right. like and that powerlessness, like when you reach a certain station in life, like you're accustomed to having little bit of power, a little bit of control. And then when you don't have it anymore, it's like, oh no, and that, that's, yeah. that's crazy. So we went to trial. Sometimes you gotta get a little creative. And I remember arguing to the jury that, so the, the store had 15 cameras. They brought three of the camera angles. Mm -hmm. So with a straight face, I had to argue to the jury that there was reasonable doubt about what happened because there were 12 other cameras and we couldn't see what happened on those cameras. Right. <laughs> right. And, and so like the people in my office were like, Jules, how did you say that with a straight face? Like, and I was like, well, you know, you do what you have to do. The, the prosecutor was a cool guy. And he was like, look, if the jury comes back and they find him guilty, we'll just agree to two years. And then his parole can handle, like his parole. So, can so you didn't try it. to argue it wasn't him? <laughs> no, no, no. But I didn't try to argue it wasn't him. The argument was more along the lines of you saw him take the money, but you don't know if somebody gave him permission to take the money. Right. Because or if he put it somewhere, there's 12 cameras <laughs> that are missing. So we right. don't really know what happened. Yeah. It took the jury all of about six minutes to come back with a guilty because, I mean, it was just. <laughs> uh, so they, so he did get found guilty. He got found guilty. And he got 25 years. He, no, he got two years. Oh, oh he got so he got deal. he got found he got found guilty, but like I said, the prosecutor was like, "Look, if they find him guilty, we'll just agree to give him two. We won't go to the jury for punishment. He won't have to deal with that range, and then his parole will, will deal with him." The judge accepted the deal. I mean, we basically said, "Judge, 
here's the situation. It's 500 bucks, and he's on parole, so he's got to deal with that long parole issue anyway. And the judge right. was like, yeah, 500 bucks, who cares? Just It kind of worked out for him in the sense that he didn't end up with the 25, but he still had to go back to prison. His parole had to, they did whatever yeah. they did with him on his parole, which was probably revoked it, and he probably ended up doing probably another seven or eight years Damn. for 500 bucks. That's ridiculous. Yeah. 500 bucks wasn't worth all that. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not. Let me tell you, 500 bucks, I'm not walking through the jail for $500. <laughs> That's right. Sometimes you really got to weigh that, uh, the benefits of, of uh, the risk that you take. Why do you think lawyers get such a bad rap? Because they all lie. That's what we I hear. Think, <laughs> I, well, I, think that, I think that the reason that lawyers get such a bad rap is because it's an adversarial system. So you're always going to have one person that look at the lawyer like they're great and the other person look at the lawyer like they're a scumbag. The same lawyer. You have a, right. a couple getting a divorce. You know. I had he, that happen with me. Yeah, <laughs> he loves his lawyer. She right. hates his lawyer. Right. You know, and so, and then lawyers are, because they say liars. So a terrible lawyer is a liar. Right. But what you are is a spin doctor. You're, right. you're persuasive. You're manipulating the words. You're manipulating the scenarios to the favor of your client. Right. right now, if you do it right and do it well, you're not lying. You're just putting a different spin on things. But you can see that in a situation of, you know, a murder or an aggravated sex assault, somebody saying, well, you know, she agreed to go home with them. She agreed to go up to his room. She, you know, she agreed to spend the night. She, you know, that sounds like consent. But then she's going that, well, that's not consent. You know, and so you say, well, she consented to everything else. You know, so you. Right. So to her, he's a liar and he's this, but all you're trying to do is raise reasonable doubt in the, in the criminal aspect. And it's really criminal lawyers and family. But because raising reasonable doubt doesn't mean it has to be true. It doesn't mean it has to happen. It just has to be within the realm of reasonable possibility. Right. If it's in the, within the realm of reasonable possibility, you've raised a reasonable doubt. And that's really, really hard for a lot of victims of crimes to see and understand so right for the obvious reason like it's so yeah yeah no that makes a lot of sense it's really about manipulating the perspective and saying look you can look at it from this angle and it looks like this but if you look at it from this other angle it looks different right yeah absolutely um i've seen um even in persuasion they talk about the fact that like if you're facing a camera you can look as if you're um innocent but if the camera's behind you and you say something, it can sound like you're guilty. Like, you know what I'm saying? So right. just different perspectives on that. And they have that weird thing they do on the, that, that weird social media thing. Have you seen it? Where you they take your left half of your face and make oh, yeah. it one face and then the right half of your face. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and they, they're like, you look like two different people. Two but different it's just, people. It's yeah. just the, the, yeah, so it's the perspective. It's right? just the perspective. Yeah. How yeah. stressful is it when you have a client who is not following your guidance and you have to be able to spin a story a certain way? So if you tell them, hey, you can't talk about this with somebody or you tell them don't respond to somebody when they reach out to you, how stressful does that? It's, it's not necessarily as stressful as it is as it makes your job harder right. because I'm telling you all these things in, in your best interest. But, you know, sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. And as you get older in your career, you start to realize that all I can do is advise. Right. So, like, I'm at the point now where I'm just going to give you my advice. It's up to you whether or not you follow it. And then I have to be able to, like, for me, I just plan for you not to follow 
the advice. Like I like literally I would say if Joe came in to me and said, what should I do in this situation? I would say the best course of action is one, two, and three. I'm going to prepare for him to call me back the next day and tell me that he did exact opposite of one, two, and three. <laughs> now, because that way I'm ready for all of it. Joe, don't go next door and talk to the neighbor. The phone rang. So I went next door and talked to the neighbor, and he said this. I'm like, okay, got it. You know, but that's the way that you you grow to learn to think ahead. That's what helps with the stress level because I'm not surprised anymore. I was ready for it. And that that's what helps ease the stress level. Cause that, yeah. that's what clients do. Right. Clients do exact opposite of what you tell them to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Period. That's, that's really funny because um, I think that a lot of times when you're told to do something and you're given advice, a lot of people don't follow that advice. They just go their own route. And um, it's really like playing chess. You know what I'm saying? Like you're thinking, okay, this is the problem and the solution is over here and I got to make these two moves. But I also know there's a possibility this idiot's going to do something that I told him not to do. So I'm going to have to go over here. And, you know, so right. it's, it's, a, it's a chess game, um, which is really funny because I, I also look at, at jujitsu as a chess game too. So um, how, does, how do the, those two correlate in terms of stress at the job and, and what does jujitsu do for that in, in your perspective? So, and you guys will feel this because y'all are both military. Yeah. So being in a life or death situation puts perspective on a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Right. And so when I was doing like MMA and Muay Thai and all that stuff, somebody's trying to kick you in the face. They're try, like, trying to knock your teeth out. Right. Right. Somebody's trying to take your back and they're, they're trying to choke you. Now they're not trying to kill you. You're just training, but they're like, they're trying to choke you. You're trying to prevent that from happening. Right. And so now when I'm in a situation, I'm in a non life or death situation. Like you mean to tell me I have time to think about this? Right. And I'm not going to get hurt. And it's not. So that perspective, like we we're talking about earlier, like it's a different perspective. I don't have to be in a rush. Jiu-Jitsu teaches you like you have to make split second decisions that can result in your arm being broken or not. Right. You, you know, but I'm in the courtroom and this guy just said objection. I mean, he's, you have to uh, think quickly. You have to think quickly, but I don't have to. But there's no peril. Like right. there's no physical peril. So. All right. I mean, I, I got a little time to think about the answer here because it won't immediately result in pain or tragedy, you know. So that's the way it helps correlate for me. Just, um, I had a friend of mine who she was dating this guy. She's married to him now, and he was a combat vet. And so she was like, "He doesn't care about anything. He doesn't care about anything. He doesn't care about anything." And she, maybe we shouldn't be together. And I was like, "Listen, the, what you're worried about is nonsense." This man was was shot at like that's not a problem for him. Like it right. can that can be worked out because he's not about to die. So you want him to be adamant and up in arms and concerned and he's just not going to be. Right. And then like a months later, she called me and she was like, she was like, you were right. And I was like, I know I was right because <laughs> you've never been put in a situation of peril. And even though it may not be the best for everybody, you may not want to do self-defense and you may not want to do all of these things, but being put in a situation where you are, your health and physical well-being is compromised puts a lot of perspective on life when those perils aren't there. Right. And so that's that. I mean, that's the way jujitsu helps me out. Yeah, like for sure. No, that's really good. I would say in my experience, like when I was at Amazon, 
it's funny we would have emergencies like like belts would would break or um, we would have people call in and we don't have enough staff or you know things like that and a lot of people would get kind of spun up on that stuff and I used to say because of my combat experience I used to say well no one's gonna die. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like we're shipping out candy bars and soda, soda. Like you know, <laughs> it's not. No one's gonna die because they didn't get their package on time. And you know, within one right. day, you know, yeah, there is an Im a business impact, but it's not a life or death impact. And so it really does give you a whole different perspective in terms of what is actually important versus what's or what is an emergency versus what is not an emergency. You know what I'm saying? So, um, 100%. And, and you you kind of touched a little bit on the MMA and the Muay Thai uh, background. How did you go from law school? playing sports in high school to all of a sudden doing like a combative sport like MMA. What was the motivation there? I had, so I was going through school and when you, when you go to school and you're in high school, you have these coaches and they're not really like good coaches. Right. So I was in school and they're like, they're like, yeah, we got to go work out. And all they do is go to the weight room. So I was just go <laughs> to the weight room and lift weights and lift weights. And I never ran, like yeah. you didn't run for anything. You ran when you played, but other than that, so then I get out and I go to law school and then I'm putting on weight and I'm like, man, I got to go work out. I just go to 24 hour fitness and throw weights around. So I'm just getting bigger. Like, right. I, like all I'm doing is getting bigger. And then one year around Christmas, a buddy of mine, Wonder Boy, amazing rapper, uh, Wonder, <laughs> Wonder Boy goes, he goes, man, I went to the doctor today. He told me I have diabetes. He says, I got to change my diet. And he was like, no more Hennessy, no more, you know, he's just no more pizza, no more Hennessy. So this was in December. This was in December. So we're hanging out at, you know, we're just hanging out and it's Christmas Eve. And, you know, we're going, he's like, man, I've been, I've been kind of doing good on the diet, but man, I, it's Christmas, man. I can just, I'm going to have some Hennessy. And so he goes and, you know, he starts drinking or whatever. And so it's Christmas Eve, Christmas Day comes. And then the day after Christmas, somebody, they call him, they're like, Wonder World was found in his apartment dead. Oh my God. And it was like, Whoa, and then it was like the diabetes, and mm. you know when the boys he's a big guy, and so then I was like, man, I got to start, like I got to get in shape. So I had always been interested in combat sports, just never done it, and didn't really have the time with college and then law school. It was just it was, like I said, time was just occupied, so I didn't really have time to do anything. And so um, there was a little gym right down the street from where I lived and it was Salsa Lease. He trained Tito Ortiz, Rico Rodriguez, Melvin Gillard. Just, if he's not now, he will be a UFC Hall of Fame coach. Right. Like this guy was, he was just everywhere. Wow. Um, right after he passed at his funeral, there was like fight makers and all kind of stuff from the UFC at his funeral. Like this, wow. and this guy was, and his gym was just right down the street from my house. And so I was like, okay. And I went in, Oh, he's a little, he's half Mexican, half Thai. And he was, you know, he's just, he's the roughest, gruffest, meanest, most caring. Yeah, like he <laughs> was, you know, he was, yeah, he, you know, he was that guy. And, you know, he don't be a dumbass, but, but he just, you know, he got me in it and we just, you know, we worked from there. And because it was high school athlete, because it was the legal profession, which was competitive, also like that competitive spirit just kept, you know, it just, Pushing it you. just found another place to manifest itself. Yeah, no, that's really awesome, man, that you found that um that outlet. And it's really amazing that you took such a tremendous loss um, at, a, at such a young age and then turned that into something positive because a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people kind of languish in that, 
you know, in that sadness and they don't find a way to turn that into something positive and so, you know, something that actually results in, you know, your ability to move forward and, and honor that memory. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that, that's really impressive. What took you from that to doing jujitsu? Like what moved you from doing MMA to focusing on jujitsu? Age. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just, so when I started, I was 34, 35. So it was never anything that I was like, I'm one day I'm going to be a professional MMA fighter. Like I'm going to the UFC right. because you know, I was out of law school. I mean, I was, I had a career already. I wasn't going to leave all that on the table right. to try to become a pro fighter. But because of that, like you start like that stuff catches up with your body, you know, and not, not as bad as the football concussions. I can't remember CTE or not, you know, not the necessarily. TBIs, the- yeah, yeah. Not necessarily that bad, but you know, you wake up every day to go train and somebody's kicking you in your ribs and you're, right. you're getting bruised and you're punching all day and your knuckles are hurting. And that type of thing, just, it just takes an effect on you. After a while, for quality of life and longevity, you have to make choices on what you, what you do and what you don't do. And even though jiu-jitsu is still hard on your body, it's completely different from... Getting punched and kicked. Get, well, I mean, you get knocked <laughs> out. Like you, get, like you legitimately get knocked out. And those... That's what causes that that concussion disease is those right. is all those shots to the head and even though it's it's different but it's still shots to the head yeah and my career as bad as it sounds to say I can do my career I can be a lawyer in a wheelchair right. I cannot be a lawyer if I'm brain dead oh so, yeah you know so I need I just, <laughs> you need that <laughs> I, I just need for a little while uh, my wife says I don't use it but I need the brain for it. <laughs> Danze Pace says that stress is the trash of modern life. He says that we all generate it, but that we don't dispose of it properly. It will pile up and it will overtake our lives. It's important to understand the different methods available to us for managing and dealing with stress. The more capable we are of managing our stress, the more we're able to get after our goals and objectives, and therefore, the higher the probability that we'll achieve success. And to assist with that, we have 14 steps you can take to assist with handling stress. And the first step is to understand the signs of stress on your body. So I want to kind of share with you some different ways that stress can present itself when you're just absorbing that stress and you're not dealing with it. Um, so there's low energy and fatigue. You're always tired. Headaches that come from nowhere. Insomnia, you can't sleep at night. Changes in appetite where either you're not eating at all because you're stressed or you're overeating because stress is causing you to just kind of eat based off of emotion. Um, you can develop digestive issues, uh, increase your heart rate, have a lot of sweating, uh, low self-esteem, a loss of a sex drive, and then just always getting sick. Uh, you, you're always having some type of ailment uh, that's impacting you negatively. Have you ever experienced any of these symptoms associated with stress? So I would say uh, most certainly that you have to deal with a lot of insomnia and um heart rate issues, blood pressure issues. And specifically, so so like when you're in trial, like trial is like a very stressful time. So when I'm in trial, it's completely different. Like I'm a like completely obnoxious person, right? right? Because you're barely sleeping, because your brain is going all the time. You're so in it, you're so, like I don't eat all day. Like right. it just, like if I eat, I'm nauseous. Like, I, like my stomach's upset, I don't eat all day. And you can feel, like I can feel, feel my blood pressure spike but right. just from the start of trial like I can feel it the I walk into the courtroom that day blood pressure goes up my you know my head is throbbing I have a headache because 
there's the stress that comes with being in the trial all day. Like it's right. just, it's, it's just always there. So absolutely have like, you have to deal with it. I've had them all now. The only way to deal with that type of stress for me is there's, I say only way, but there's two things I have to do. One, I have to be confident in what I'm doing because then even though I know the stress is there, I know that you're not going to beat me. Like, like right. it's there, right. but you're not going to beat me. So I'm, I'm going to deal with it, but it's stress and not fear. Right. You know, so like, like you're not going to beat me. And the other thing is like, I have to unwind and just depending on where it is, like in trial, after I leave trial that day, that unwind generally involves doing something to, this is going to sound because my blood pressure goes up, but it's doing, I have, I have to exert that energy. Right. Because what you're doing when you're in trial is you're sitting in a chair all day asking questions. That's what you're doing. Right. I'm not exerting any energy all day. So I need to get out and I need to do something physical. And then that, and that also helps with being able to sleep at night, Mm -hmm. calming my brain down because you're just, all you're doing all day is, okay, I've got witness A, B, and C tomorrow. He's going to say this. Maybe he says this. Maybe he says this. If he says this, you're just running through scenarios all through your head. By the time I get to trial and finish the trial, I've tried that case like a thousand times. By the time that trial starts, I've had the trial a thousand times. Right. And so, so that's how I know you're not going to beat me because I'm, I'm ready for it. You're not going to beat me, but I, I can't do anything with that that anxiousness, that stress that that comes from actually getting in the game. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. When you're suffering from that insomnia, is it you just playing that trial over and over in your head? What went went on today? What's going to happen tomorrow? Like, that's what's keeping you up. It's it's just, I don't know what insomnia is for a lot of people, but for me, whenever I can't, because I can't turn my brain off. Right. And so my body will be exhausted, but my brain is just like, it's like, nope, we got to do this. We got to do this. We think yeah. about this. We gotta do this. And so it's like, I, I can't rest. I can never get to a restful state. And even if you do fall asleep, and I'm sure y'all know, but you, you'll fall asleep, but it's like, asleep. it's like real life. Yeah. <laughs> like you're, you're sleeping. You're thinking about all the stuff you have to do the next yeah. day. It's like, it's like, I didn't dream about that. I'm just, and so, so you, you it's not restful. So right. then you wake up the next day if you slept and you're a, step, a little step slower because I really didn't sleep. That's why I go and I, I mean, I have to do something. If I in the trial and I can't make it to go train or whatever, I'll go run, I'll go walk, I'll you know, do 100 pushups. I have to exert the energy somehow so I can hopefully get my brain, get my body down and hopefully get my brain to someplace else. Like I'm gonna right. take it someplace else so that I can rest a little bit. I had a therapist tell me one time to take a journal and write everything I was thinking in the journal before I went to bed. I said, that's going to keep me up all night. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be helpful. You know, some people journal, and um, I actually know a therapist, actually, who has a, she, uh, Dr. Angela Jones, made a, a, spe- a journal specific to, like, a mental health journal, so it's you can keep your calendar and you can do other stuff in it also. Like, right. and. and that's good for people that that's good for like that's like it's good for them and i know that that definitely helps some people out yeah i'm very much the same way as you are crystal like when i was in school i couldn't take notes because i would get so focused on what i was writing that i would miss like everything that came after that and then and i write kind of slow and then i'd just be sitting there and 
you know, I got to a point where I started to record. I would just record because I'd do the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. And then so now it's just like, no, I'm not going to journal it. I'm just going to keep it. I don't want anybody to find it. I don't, I don't burn, know what I'm going to say. I'm going to burn my journal. <laughs> right. yeah, they, they don't sell them with locks anymore. <laughs> right. The whole days. The diaries. Um, it's really funny because I, I feel like you touched on multiple symptoms of stress in your story that you were just sharing. Because um, you talked about having low energy because you have you're suffering from the insomnia. You talked about not being able to eat because you, your appetite just changed. Like um, you talked about the rapid heart rate. You talked so you touched on several of the 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 symptoms that that were all coming that all seemed to be kind of tied together. Like one is feeding the other one. Like you know, so it's really important for our our listeners if if you're dealing with that level of stress, maybe you don't even understand that it is stress. That's kind of what you're feeling. And you have to be able to identify that in order to understand that you're feeling stressed. And now you need to find a way to resolve it. One of the things that I really like about jujitsu is that for me, I feel like because you have to think about what your next move is going to be during that time, you can't really think about all the other things that you typically would think about. Right. Yeah. Right. Or you're it, not going to do very well yeah. if right. you're thinking about other stuff. It's, it's like a good two hours of like shutting your brain off yeah. and not thinking about what, you know, your right. day. And and I know Crystal, we're, we're in the process right now of going through a legal situation. And the other day Crystal came home and was like, man, I'm glad I went to jujitsu because um, it allowed me to stop thinking about that. You know what I'm saying? Because, right. you know, that's a stressor. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, yeah. I think the big thing where people make the biggest mistake is a lot of people can't identify what their stressors are. Right. Right. And that's then true. they just they just go. You know, they, like people go, oh, I hate this phrase. Jesus, take the wheel. You know, right. whenever. <laughs> somebody like, somebody else take the wheel. <laughs> yeah, when, whenever somebody says that, to me, that's like an indicator that whatever you want, whatever you want somebody else to take the wheel, that's a stressor for you. Right. And you're trying to just not deal with it. Like, I just yeah. don't want to deal with it. But then what ends up happening is you end up with all these different manifestations that you think are just, you know, oh, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I don't know why I'm so hungry. I don't know why I don't know why I can't sleep. I don't. It's because you let Jesus take the wheel. And yeah. I'm, not saying, I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying anything <laughs> yeah. about religion. But you're not dealing with your. Problem. You're not dealing with it. So, you're not managing your stress. Your stress is managing you. Right. You're, yeah. You're just like I'm just going to leave it there, and then hopefully it'll go away. It's not going to just hopefully go away. You have to identify what that stressor is, and then figure out how you're going to deal with it. Either handle the problem or handle the stress. Right. But don't just. Hope that it goes away. Yeah. Hope in one hand, wish in the other. Yeah. <laughs> and typically when people are trying to figure out what it is, so if, if you get stressed out about something and you don't really know why, like you don't know what that root cause is, you have to look at it and say, why is this making me upset? You yeah. know, is it the person that's making me upset or is it what I view, whatever that behavior is as being offensive or whatever? What is it that's making me mad? Like, Um, if you're somebody who goes to a store and you don't like it when people don't put their baskets away, why is that? You know, it's probably because you think that they're inconsiderate. So you're really upset that they're inconsiderate. It's really not about the basket, you know, put your basket up. Yeah. Yeah. Put your basket up. (laughs) But that's, but that's the, Jesus take the wheel. (laughs) That's the other thing though, Crystal, because that's, that's true. A lot of people won't look at their stressors as being people. Right. But sometimes your stressor is just a person. Like, right. like it can be the person. It doesn't have to be. A, it can be a situation. It can be a person. Like we've all worked with people that we just didn't like, but you have to deal with. And if and, you don't like them, you find something. But you, you know, you don't like them, and then you're like, man, this person. And it's just something about them. And then whenever they come around, you just get that annoyed, and you have to figure out. You either have to figure out how to deal with them, 
or you have to deal figure out how to deal with the feelings that come about because of them. Right. But a lot of people, they just, Jesus, take the wheel. I just don't. I just, <laughs> that, I don't know. That situation sticks in my crawl. <laughs> the second step is to document or write down your stressors. This is even more important if you're feeling stressed and can't truly pinpoint what the cause of that stress is. Keeping a journal is a great way to identify your stressors and create a positive method for managing those stressors. I know that even medically, if you have something going on, like I've had a cough for like four years and they've tried to diagnose whatever it is and they don't know what it is. And so they asked me to write down what I ate when I started coughing, if it was worse during different times to try to identify what could be causing it or what could be aggravating it. So journaling would be a way with stressors, you know, like we talked about earlier. Do you journal at all? I don't. <laughs> for me, there's a number of reasons. One, because with work and the baby and jujitsu, like you just don't have, like I just don't have the time. But I also, in the period where some people journal or, you know, to have the journal, I'd like, I take advantage of the time that I have. So when I'm driving, like it, it took me six and a half hours to get here. I left yesterday. <laughs> no, it didn't. It's a long way, away. It's a long way away from where, where I am. But like when I'm driving and I'm in the car, I try to take that time to think, reflect. I do do a lot of that reflection while Jeezy's playing. But, you know, <laughs> you just spin it. You just right. spin it through your mind. You yeah. spin it through your mind and let yourself think. That's just the way the journaling has is, is good for people. Like I'm going to focus you on something. If you can yeah. focus yourself, you don't necessarily need to journal. You just spend a little bit of time that you have. Um, one of the, the other things that I used to do was yoga. And, you know, they always, you know, when you do yoga, especially high yoga, like you're in this room and nobody's really talking and people are breathing and you're sweating all over the place. But you really can just think in that time. Like you're not doing anything else. You can just, I mean, putting your leg behind your head is not really like a, like, I don't need to do that. It's not really a big deal. <laughs> it's But it's just an hour where there's nothing else going on. There's no attacking. There's no, and I can just think. Right. To me, that's what journaling equals. It just equals a time that you've set aside to yourself, for yourself, to be selfish, which is something that we don't do. As a society, we're raised not to be selfish. Like, to tell you don't be selfish. Mm -hmm. And then if you're selfish, it's looked at as being bad, but... You need to be selfish because that's what self-care is. It's being selfish. You have to take a little time for yourself. Go get your hair done. I see Joe went and got his hair done today. <laughs> you know, get your nails done. You know, you have to take a little time for yourself right. and you be selfish. And in that time, that's when you relax. That's I know you... for me, I like one of my favorite things, I guess, to kind of recharge is to drive alone. <laughs> I actually like having like the top down and just music playing and it allows me time to kind of recharge. And I know that some people need that. Some people are, their energy is recharged by being alone. If you're like, I know my daughter's is, my youngest daughter is, um, she is introverted and her personality just, she gets recharged or gets energy by being alone. Right. So 100%. if she wasn't given that opportunity, she would be stressed out. So the weirdest thing about me is, and a lot of people don't get it, is because of my everything, I'm like, I'm an introvert, yeah. 100%. But, you know, my job, for it. So people have, don't know that. I have to go out. I have to talk yeah. to people. And I'm willing to talk. And you have to talk to people to be able to deal. You, know, you have to talk to again, no man's island. You can't just walk around <laughs> right. and not talk to anybody. Then the people think you're a weirdo. But I'm really an introvert. You know, and, yeah. and, and for me, like that quiet time 
is super important. So before I got married, like I used to call my house the Batcave. Like I would <laughs> get home, pull in my garage, close the door, no no blinds open, not turn any lights on. Like the t- like I was just at home. Like that was it. I don't really go out to clubs and bars and all that because I'm. I mean, I will on occasion, but for right. the most part. Like, I just like to close myself in my house and just, but that's why, like, I need time to myself. I need time to, I need a coop so that I can spend a lot of time in the car by myself. (laughs) And honestly, for a lot of people, they don't even realize that that's a source of their stress either, that they're not getting that time that they need because you need it. Even if it's, you know, 10 minutes reading a book with your headphones on, not listening to somebody complaining or somebody telling you, hey, we need to do this tomorrow. You know, that little bit of time can be a, a stress reliever for you. Right, for sure. I do some journaling and um, I Does think- Does it have it, a lock on it? No, <laughs> it doesn't have a lock. Um, where, where do you keep this journal? <laughs> uh, I actually have a couple of journals to tell you the truth. And uh, and even when I read books, I'll write notes. Very elaborate. Um, but I tell you, for me, it's therapeutic to write. You right. know what I'm saying? So for right. me, it's therapy to write. And that's why I do a lot of writing. But I also know that if you can identify your stressor and you can deal with it, then you probably don't need a journal. And I, I, from your explanation and your your experience and and your stories of how you handle stress, it sounds like you're very uh, in tune with with yourself and you you're in tune with what your stressors are. So and you can deal with them. Right. Yeah. You know that's one of those things when you write it down. It's the same thing. It's because it's just it's just a way to reminisce. And so yeah. you go back if it's if it was a bad period in your life, like you look back on that period and you're like, man, I was going through I was going through a lot. Sometimes that emotion will make you. Like it'll yeah. make you sad because you're like, a, but then what probably happens more often than than not is you look back on that experience and go, man, I pulled myself up out of this. Right. I yeah. should be like, I'm a motherfucker. Like yeah. I, I got, I got out of that. And I mean, and it's just, it's just a product of like the way people are. You have to understand yourself. Like one of the things about me, this, uh, this is going to freak y'all out. And it always freaks everybody out because I'm an attorney, <laughs> but I'm dyslexic. Oh, so, wow. so reading yeah, like reading takes me forever to do yeah. because I have to catch the words on the page. I have to make sure that I read exactly what I read. So sitting down and 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 writing and reading like that's going to cause me more stress more than stress. it is any, than it is anything else. Right. Have to, but that's also from being raised with parents that are like, "Look, you need to be the best you that you can be." Right. But before you can be the best you that you can be, you have to know who you are. Yeah. Right. And a lot of people surround themselves with the Joneses. So they're trying to yeah. figure out who their neighbor is. They're trying to do everything that their neighbor can do or whatever their neighbor's doing. A lot of people, like it's so many outside influences in their life. A lot of people don't even know they're introverts because everybody says, let's go out. So they go out and then they can't figure out how come they're just sitting in the corner upset a whole time and want to go home because that's not your thing. Right. Like, that's not your thing. Like go, go home, tell people no, like you don't have to go right. out. But a lot of people surround themselves with people who are opposite them or who are not willing to accept them the way they are. Right. So if you're an introvert and you're married to an extrovert Makes it hard. and the extrovert <laughs> is like, well, okay, you don't want to go out. So I'm just going to invite people to the house. Right. Well, now you constantly have people in my safe space. I don't have any place that's safe and that's going to put an additional stress on the relationship. So yeah. you just have to know, you have to know who you are. Spend a little time getting to know yourself without going to any of those websites. And you spend, <laughs> spend time to get to know yourself. So that way you can identify what your like what your issues are. Man, that's big. That's yeah, huge. That's and huge. don't let Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> the third step is to take time and re-energize and recharge. And we kind of talked about that uh, a little bit in, in a few seconds ago. When we're talking about 
Crystal needing some alone time to recharge and Jules needing to kind of expend that energy. It's important to find an activity. Don't, or, don't skip your journaling. Yeah. <laughs> and my journaling too. <laughs> uh, you know, Try to slide right yeah. over. <laughs> it's important you find an activity or an action that allows you to reset your internal batteries. Uh, this can be like going to the gym, training jujitsu, uh, going out for a drive, reading a book, writing poetry. Whatever it is for you, find that thing that allows you to ground yourself in the present and then reset yourself. So the fourth step is to manage your time properly. Poor time management is a huge contributor to stress. There is nothing more stressful than running late for an important event or missing a critical deadline. Being able to manage your time will greatly assist you in minimizing your stress. What do you do to help with time management? Are you a procrastinator? So I'm, I'm not a procrastinator. <laughs> I'm like a hyper on time guy. Like I was like, okay, I got to be here at 10 o'clock. Means I have to leave at 11 p.m. Traffic, um, <laughs> you know, but like I'm super on time. So I was like 10 o'clock. I think I was pulling in the in the parking lot at like 9:58. Like it just that's my thing. The woman I'm married to, if I tell her 10 o'clock, she's not going to be ready to go any place until 1:30 in the afternoon. Like she's. And, and <laughs> so do you give her earlier time? Oh man, it doesn't. <laughs> got to be even, ready at seven. <laughs> it doesn't even matter. It's just whatever time she's just going to be two or three hours behind. But you know whatever. I also don't let that bother me. I just blame her. <laughs> um, but that's the big, like, a lot of what contributes to people's stress, in my eyes, is like today, everything is now. Like, right. everything has to be now, like now, now, now. And because of that, everybody's like, well, well, you know, if it doesn't happen immediately, it's not. And it's like, well, that's, that's not really the thing. Like, take time, figure out what's important, what's not important. Do you have to be? the first person in line for the Jordans. Like you have to be. Because if you don't, then who cares? If Now, you need to be on time for work. Yeah, you have to be on time for work. You have to be on time to do some of those other things. But plan, like plan your day because that'll help. Plan, plan for your, like I hate traffic. I hate traffic. Traffic drives me up the wall. One of the reasons I hate traffic is I like to drive fast. And then I'm stuck <laughs> and I'm sitting. And I love being in the car and I love all these, but I like to get places fast because I, I like to drive fast. So traffic just drives me up the wall. So what I do is I will plan around traffic and I will try to be places where I will plan routes where there's no traffic. I'm My general day is the furthest I go from my house on a regular day is to train. And that's about seven miles from home. My mom lives half a mile from me. My wow. brothers are both within about four miles of me. Wow. I work three miles with it because I don't like traffic. Yeah. So I plan my life to not, not be in traffic. Yeah, like, to avoid that stress. Yeah, like there's just no reason for it. Mm -hmm. Because when I'm I'm the guy that if they ever made hand grenades legal, I would definitely roll one under somebody's car in traffic. <laughs> like get out of my way. Like what are you doing? Who drives 65? This is Texas people. I told him I wish that there was like a little steel arm with a glove on it that you could just <laughs> hit a button and pop the car in front of you. Like, right. like get out of the way. Get out yeah. of my way. Yeah, 100%. And I also think when you procrastinate, you're giving yourself a reason to stress because you know what your you deadline are. is. Yeah. You know your deadline. You know it well ahead of time. Now, if somebody just springs up on you, like, you know, you have a boss that comes and says, you know, I need the TPS reports in 15 minutes. You're like, ah, come on, dude, what are you, you know, what are you doing? But at the same time, if you know that you have a boss that typically asks for TPS reports in 15 minutes, then you need to have them ready ahead of time. So when he comes in to ask for you, you just click print. Right. Because you've identified that he's a stressor for you. Yeah. And that his habits are a stressor for you. So you so you work your way around them. So to me, it's just 
it's preparedness. It that yeah. preparedness will always help you alleviate stress because you're just not worried. Yeah. I am very much driven by my schedule. So if it's not on my calendar, like it doesn't you know, exist. It, to me it doesn't exist. <laughs> and if you if you come to me and go, "Hey, we have this going on today." I'm going to be upset because Did you put it on the calendar? You, yeah, I'm like it's not on the calendar, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? So um, and I don't like being in any place late. I like to be at least 10, 15 minutes early. So right. it stresses me out when we're pulling into anything and it's like two or three minutes before we're, you know, right. before we're supposed to execute. So my wife and my oldest daughter, like we share a calendar, like put it on the calendar because if it's not there, I'm not going to do it. Like yeah. it, like it just says, Oh, well we, you know, we dinner with mother-in-law. Like, was it on the calendar? I will tell you. <laughs> like it's not, I'm not going because like, you're not going to throw my life into <laughs> like into I, a I spin, right? right? Like, I, don't, <laughs> I, have, I had other stuff planned, so oh yeah, but man, ca and now you—it's so easy to calendar oh, stuff yeah. with your phone. Just put it on the calendar, and yeah. it, that also helps for time management. Just yeah. put everything on your calendar. Okay. Absolutely, bills and everything. I put bills on my calendar. Like I have the bill, the bill amount, when it's going to be due, because it also helps me see when this amount of money is going to come out of my when it's yeah. going to come out of the bank, and it's just another thing that you're I, really organized, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Kinda. Make lists? Uh, n not really lists, but yeah, a lot of lists. A lot of notes on my, the notes app on my phone. It's a mm -hmm. lot. It's a lot of notes in there. Krista does the same thing. She's a list person. You, um, you kind of, uh, you kind of talked about like putting your bills and the amount due on, on each day so that you know when it's going out. Like I like to put in when I'm going to get paid so I know when the money's coming in. Like the, I, I, my payday's <laughs> on the counter too. I'm like, Hey, uh, I, I didn't get a check for this. Where, what's going on? You know, another thing that, that helps though, th and this is crazy. So I found out one day there was like a little hustle with Southwest. You could get a Southwest credit card, right? Mm -hmm. And when you make purchases on that credit card, it gives you, um, rewards so i was like man i wait a minute, i can get rewards on my southwest card so what i do is i put set all my bills up on auto pay so they pay on my southwest credit card and then i pay my southwest credit card bill and then i'm getting flight rewards for paying my bills <laughs> but it helps i don't have to think about whether or not my bills are paid it. yeah because it's just everything's on auto pay it's automatic and yeah. then all i'm doing is making sure that the money's coming in and that you're paying you know paying that one bill at one time, oh man, it's direct deposit from work, like big things like the car notes and all that stuff, that yeah. money comes right out and goes right yep. right to an account. Like I don't, yeah. so the money that comes to me, this is just money that- it's so You like, know you can spend. I can spend, I can, yeah. and that finance is one of the, like across the nation is one of the biggest stressors for biggest. relationships and everything. 100%. I just deal without it. Yeah. I think for me and Crystal is like, that's probably our only stressor in our relationship. Well, I won't say it's the only one, but it's like the primary stressor in our relationship is because we both view finances differently. You know what I'm saying? Right. That, that, so it's, it's always our biggest challenge in trying to figure out how do we align on that? Like, and we've done a really good job of that. So. You have to stop spending money on hair care products. <laughs> you have to stop. That's not what he spends his money on. <laughs> you have to stop. Spending he spends his money on firearms oh, and well. TVs. <laughs> guns and electronics, man. Come you on. know, this is so weird. Like every, maybe every three, four months, I'll go to my parents' house and my dad will have bought like three new TVs. He's like, they were on sale. And I was like, what are you doing with all these TVs? He'll be okay if we move to a new place and if we've like sold things off or whatever the case is, we can come into a house. It can be completely unfurnished. And the first thing he wants to get is a TV. That makes sense. 
It yeah. does. 100%. What are you going to do? And a gun. <laughs> and a gun. Right. We're going to lay on the floor have, and watch TV. <laughs> I mean, other than that, or I'm going to sit on a couch and do nothing. Yeah. I, I, I'd much rather lay on the floor and watch TV. Like, like, I don't want to sit here and talk to you people, man. I want to watch, watch X-Men. Um, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. The fifth step is to find work-life balance. When your work-life balance is out of whack, what happens is whatever you're paying attention to, the other, like if you're focused on work, then the your family life suffers. If you're, if you're focused on your family life primarily, then your work life suffers. So it's really about trying to find a balance there. Um, and then I know that's always easier said than done. Being deliberate in managing your overtime or scheduling personal time, Managing your time to ensure that you keep track of important dates, appointments, and scheduled activities will all help in reducing stressors from your work and your personal life. And you kind of alluded to the fact that you use your calendar to kind of maintain that balance. How do you manage the, the rest of the work-life balance um, scenario for you in your situation with your job? So I have two phones. And I have two, two phones. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> one is not for the plug. One is, but... but the reason I have two phones is because one of the phones, if it goes off, if it rings, it's either the DA herself calling me or it is because there was an officer-involved shooting or an officer-involved incident that occurred that I need to be notified of. And a lot of times, not a lot of times, you can never plan on when those are going to be. Like you right. never know when there's going to be a SWAT standoff or anything. So that can be a little trickier. So the, that balance just comes from having a partner that understands that if this phone rings, then you may have to get up. And leave. And one of the things when I took when I took this position was I was like, look, I'm going to need another phone because if my personal phone rings at three o'clock in the morning and then I tell my wife I have to get up and leave, I'm going to get divorced <laughs> because she's not so going to understand it's a that. different level of stress. <laughs> yeah, she's not going to understand that. Um, but now, you know, I have this other phone. So when that rings and that can be a little a little more complex because it's just an uncertain time when it's going to happen. Right. But as far as everything else, in addition to calendaring, I look at work a little bit differently than some people do, than most people do. So I work to live. Right. I don't live to work. Right. So I work so I can make enough money to do the things that I want to do when I'm not at work. Right. Yeah. I don't let my job take priority over my house. My house comes first and then the job. Now, granted, I need the money that comes from the job to help maintain the house, but if I don't have anything major going on and, it, you know, I have an empty calendar at work that day and my daughter just, you know, she's three, she just gets up and she just wants to cuddle, then I'm not going to go to work till 11. Like, right. she just wants, she just wants, like, it's fine. Because we're, the three of us are from that age group where we're Gen X. So our parents are boomers. Right. And because our parents were boomers, our our mothers were around more right. and our fathers were out working, working because they had to earn for the household. So a lot of us are a lot closer to our mothers than we are our fathers because right. our dad was a constant, I mean, just superb provider. Like the, you, you needed it, it, it was there, it was on the table, you always had food, you know, whatever. You know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with that roaches and cereal box thing. But I also didn't grow up with hugs from my dad and, and that type because he was never there. Mm. He wasn't at t-ball games and I mean you know he came to football games every now and again but he was working because his responsibility was taking care of the house and that was just that's just a generational thing but for me and our generation and generations after us like I want to be part of my child's life so work takes that back seat and I want to be able to 
I could still be out in private practice. I mean, when I was in private practice, I remember days where I would wake up at four o'clock in the morning, get dressed, drive to court in San Antonio, be there for nine o'clock, and then come, you know, and then come back home. But if I was still doing that with my daughter, that would mean that I'm asleep before she's asleep. I get home after she gets home, and so I'm never with her. So she right. may have all the nicest stuff in the world and all this. So I've missed all that time, yeah. and then I end up trying to make it back when I'm retired. Yeah. And I'm like, oh shit, you grew up. Yeah, like I, she's had her own family, and she's yeah. Right, I, I'm just I'm just not interested in that. So for me, I set my priorities, and I use that priority list to like this is how things are gonna go. If I come home, and there have been days when I didn't go train because she's just freaking out and she doesn't want me to leave the house, so I don't leave. Yeah, I just I just okay, that's fine, and I'll sit there and I'll play with it. And sometimes I like I'll. I try to leave a little bit early because I have to deal with traffic to get to, get to Pablo's. But it like it was seven miles. <laughs> right, it's, it's like Jesus Christ! It's either you're 16, Our last but, seven miles there is the worst. That's where the worst traffic right. is. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah right. So, so I'll try to leave a little bit early, but it also because maybe she she'll start that freak out before I leave, but maybe I can calm her down and she'll relax, and then I I'll, I may leave later. I may get to class right on time, but I'm still. I'm going to place her time with me before anything else. And so that to me is where that's the the way I do time management. That's the way I do work life balance. Like, like it's family first. Like I'll figure everything else. I'll figure everything else out later, but family first and then everything else will fall in line after that. And it makes for such, you know, I'm I'm just not going to stress myself out over, over work. Like it's it's not worth it. I actually, um, from the time I was a little girl, I wanted to be in the FBI. So everything I did was in that trajectory. I was in the CID in the military, which is kind of like the equivalent of like FBI or CIA for the military. When I went to get out here, I've gotten a bachelor's and a master's in criminal justice. And I went to get out and I was like, I don't want the same kind of lifestyle that I had in the military because my kids are getting to be adults. They're going to start having kids. And I don't want to miss the things with my grandkids that I missed with my kids. So I made a decision that that was no longer going to be what, you know, like I wanted to do. And I don't regret it, it, you know, honestly, because it was a decision that was made because it's in alignment with my values. So Right. We actually have a podcast that talks about values. It's one of our first podcasts uh, from season one where we talk about how to identify those values and then how to align your life so that you're living in alignment with those values. Because if you don't, that's where a lot of stress comes from. You know what I'm saying? Because right. now you're stressed because you're not even happy because you're you're not living in alignment with what's important to you. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, yeah, so it's really important to do that and to kind of set the right priorities based on what is most important to you. You know what I'm saying? And, exactly. and then working down that list. The sixth step is to learn to view the cup as half full as opposed to half empty. Words are powerful. Negative words will result in negative feelings. Learn to put a positive perspective on those things that may initially appear to be negative. For example, if you have to work late and will not be home to cook dinner, you can call your significant other and invite them out to dinner or offer to pick up dinner on the way home. They could also cook dinner. (laughs) They could. And then instead of looking at challenges as problems, view them as opportunities to stretch and challenge yourself. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? So I probably used to be pretty pessimistic. (laughs) Just because, you know, African-American community, they're just like, everybody's against you. Everybody's this, everybody's that. Like, like so you kind of get that kind of ingrained in you. 
and not just African American, there's minority communities. It's like, yeah. you know, right. White guys always out to get you. And it's like, yeah, whatever. But it takes a while to really learn that you can talk yourself into or out of like a bad mindset. Right. Yeah. So I went to a nutritionist a while ago. It was, you know, for cutting weight for all these tournaments and stuff. And then she was like, she was like, oh, you have an eating disorder. And I was like, Woman's clearly crazy. I don't know why I'm paying for eating disorder. I uh, haven't thrown up in months. And, and, <laughs> and but what she was saying is like, whenever you start diet, 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 diet to make a certain weight, and then you binge afterwards, because that's that's an effectively an, an eating disorder, right? And she said, what you need to do when you're training, when you're dieting, is stop telling yourself that you can't do something. Tell yourself that you're not doing something because of the mental impression just like when you're a kid when you tell your when you tell a kid you can't do this don't do this that's what you want to do i want to do the thing that's taboo so when right. i tell myself or when you tell you she was like when you tell yourself i can't eat ice cream now you want ice cream more than anything in the world yeah because of the power like you just saying like, like the power of words so you have to tell yourself something different like if you don't eat cauliflower right because you don't like it you don't want to eat you say i don't eat it i don't eat it <laughs> and your brain doesn't say and just go get some cauliflower because you don't eat it you so you your brain is telling you it's like i don't eat it so i don't i don't want it so that same kind of mindset that same my, i just use it with everything right like i just use it with everything it's not that i can't do it um i don't want to do it right now so i'm not gonna you know gonna do it or whatever and that's the way it's not everything's going wrong. It's that everything's going to get better later. Right. right. And like, like people always say, and they start to say, look, how's everything going? Oh man. Look, as long as I keep waking up, the situation will change. Yeah. This as, too shall pass. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you keep waking up, it will get better. So keep your hands on the wheel. Don't give the wheel to Jesus. <laughs> Keep your hands on the wheel and the, the situation will get, it will get better. Right. It will get better. It's, um, uh, I saw something and, and I know I'm going to screw it up, but it was something that was like every setback is preparing you for your greatest comeback. Right. You know what I'm saying? So just look, when I come back, y'all are not going to be ready for yeah. the person that makes it out of this. So that mindset had to switch and now I'll fix it. It'll what do you fine. think? What do you think changed that mindset for you? It just, it really was just like looking and like experiencing life and seeing that I love Aston Martin, right? I love it. I don't have one. I love Aston Martin, but I'd like to get one. <laughs> I don't have one yet, but I don't have one yet. Right. Not right. that I'll, not that I'll never be able to afford one. And then when you right. sit back and you think about it, you're like, well, I'm talking about an Aston Martin, but when I walk out of here, I'm going to see a woman with four kids pushing a grocery cart and about to get on the bus. Yeah. Like, like even as quote unquote bad as my situation is, there's somebody's situation who's a lot worse. Absolutely. So instead of looking at all the things that I don't have, I just need to look at what I do have. You know, I've got my health, I've got my family, I've got, you know, my friends, you know, I've, I have so much stuff to be thankful for. Anything else is just, like I'm just hating on what I have. Why would I hate on myself? Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. so that that's kind of where it came from for me. That's good. That's pretty powerful because um, there's a, 
you know, they used to say there's no such thing as a bad kid, right? I, I was in Boy Scout when I was when I was younger, and that was kind of like their motto or kind of their thought methodology. What's the word? Methodology. Uh, methodology. A lot of times we don't understand the power of words, and we can say things like "I'm stupid," right? You know, as opposed to saying um, "I haven't learned that yet." I think when we use negative terms, and especially when you use them against kids, I saw this in the, the documentary that I saw on Kanye West and his mom and their relationship and how she was always building him up, building him up. Hey, you can do this. You got this. You're, you're intelligent. You're super creative. And the more that, that that's fed into you, the more you believe it yourself and the more you kind of emulate those words. But if you have somebody on the other end telling you you're dumb, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're never going to achieve nothing, those words can be super impactful to you and they can potentially derail what you could have been. One of the most self-deprecating statements that I've ever heard, that I've ever heard, is when people say, it's so easy, even I can do it. Right. You're like, what? Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, you're basically saying that, that this, that like even a dummy like me can get, can accomplish it. <laughs> yeah. What the hell does that mean? Like, that's when, that's like, Clearly, you hate yourself if you're yeah. saying stuff like that. It's like, nah, a lot of people can't get away with this shit, but I did. You know, I used to have, I used to have this soldier in the military that would tell me, "I went to a school that was 49th in the U.S. for education." I'm like, "Don't ever say that again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't ever tell anybody that again." It, the number of things that people say without realizing it, yeah, that are actually like negative to themselves, is just amazing. If you just, if you should never, you should always be your biggest, like your your, yeah. your biggest fan. Yeah. Plus your brain's smart. It picks right. it up, so. Yeah. Strongest muscle in the body. Yeah. I don't think it's a muscle, but it's whatever. <laughs> but that's, but when people talk about speaking things into existence and like believe it, believe in you can achieve, like if you don't believe you can do it, you can't do it. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah. So they say the man that thinks he can't and the man that thinks he can are both right. Right. 100%. The seventh step is to have a power circle. You are the sum of the five people you spend the most time around. Creating a strong power circle can make the world difference. Your power circle should be made up of friends and family who add value to your life. They should be good influences. They should have strong moral compasses. They should be honest with you and give you feedback when offering advice. Anyone who blocks your shine, doesn't add value or is negative in your circle or brings any negativity into your circle should be removed. Do you have a power circle? I do, but it's a little bit different. Is it a triangle? <laughs> it's a power a, square. Yeah. <laughs> well, because I believe that if you're not in my life for a reason, then get the fuck out. So, right. I, so it's not just a power circle. This is just the people that are around me because I was actually talking about this with one of your former guests, uh, Min Win, <laughs> all yeah. Chinese man. But we were talking the other day, like if our values don't align, like if we're not right. seeking the same path, then just move. I'm not going to be mean to you. I'm not going to be rude to you. I'm sure you serve somebody, some value, someplace, just not me. You're just in my way. And that's how I feel about the people around me in general. At work, I have supervised like a bunch of people. In that situation, like you see all the different personalities and I mean, you know, they all come together. So. Some people are good, they're great, and you can have like outside of work conversation with them. Some people you can't because it's just the way they are. Like people that are exceptionally negative, like I don't, I just don't need that energy in my life. Like yeah. be upset about it. Like if you're going to just complain about everything but not do anything about it, I don't want to hear that. 
So that's just kind of the way that I have people around me in general. All the people around me in general, all the people that I keep around me in general, because there's a bunch of people around, but there's some people I'm not going to pick up the phone and call. I'm not going to, I'm not really going to, I'll talk to outside of however I know them, but I don't talk to them as I don't let people inside because if we're not similarly situated, similarly aligned in our thought process, I don't need to let you in because for what? You're not going to do anything but be a destructive force. And I don't need that. So yes, I do have a power struggle. It's more than five people, but it's more than five people because you need that you need that positive energy to come from everywhere. And if you can get it from more than just five people, then that's great. I also have, family members that I've effectively completely cut off. Right. Like I speak to them, you know, was that hard for you to do? Did you go about it a particular way or you just kind of ghosted them? (laughs) Um, you you know, you really, so it's not even really ghosting them. It's just, I don't need to pick up the phone and call you all the time. Like I don't drink. Right. And there's no knock on anybody does like that's, that's your thing. But then you have people like, like I have a lot of people in my family, they're alcoholics. Right. But I don't have any use for alcoholics. You're not a bad person. You're not, you just, I don't, I don't have any use for somebody who's willing to surrender all their control all the time to like fix yourself and then come back and let's revisit. But until then, you know, do your thing. Just, just, you you don't add value. Yeah. You're you're just not doing any, you're not doing anything for me. You're not a bad person. You're not whatever. You're just, there's no reason for me to ghost you, but I'm not going to be like, Hey, let me go hang out at your house. Cause you're just going to sit around drinking and I'm going to sit around like, wow, you look like a dumbass. Yeah. And so, you know, so I don't ghost them. I just, I just let live my life on the trajectory that it's going, and I let yeah. you, and I leave you on your trajectory. And if those trajectories cross at some point at some fan reunion, I say, hey, what's going on? How you been? Oh, still drunk? Great. And I just continue on my trajectory and let you continue on yours. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's um that's really important to to understand that you can't change other people, and you definitely can't take someone who is on their own path and go. Well, I don't accept you the way that you are. I need you to change and be this other person to be around me. Right. No, you just, I'm not going to have you around me because you don't add value. You don't bring value to the stable. And if you're negative, I don't need the negativity. So that's really important. So Kanye said in one of his songs, talking about Yeezy, he said, it's a line in the song, Easy. He says, I don't bring nothing to the table, but I'm the table. <laughs> like, that's the way you should look at your life. Like, yeah. what do you mean? What? It's me. Yeah, I so am the table. <laughs> if you don't deserve to sit around here and eat, like, then go someplace else. Right. For me, like, one of the things that I use when we talk about stress is if it's something that's out of my control, I don't let it stress me. Yeah. Because I have no control over it. Right. So why would I be freaked out about something? There's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. I just have to roll with the punches and accept what I do have control over and accept the things that I have control over in that situation and how I respond to it. But if I don't have yeah. any control over it, I have a supervisor that, um, she'll call me every once in a while. She'll be like, Hey, I'm in this situation and, uh, and I'm stressing out. And I said, listen, you don't control the situation. The only thing that you can control is your reaction to that situation. Right. So you have several options in terms of how you can react. You can do this, you can do this, or you can do that. So don't become stressed about it and don't take it personal. Right. The other day I was talking to one of my sons about my power circle and I was explaining to him why it was so small. I said, you know, if first of all, like you were saying, if we don't align, then you're not going to be in my circle to begin with anyways. And if you don't add value, even if your family, I told him this, even if your family, if you don't add value, then you're not going to be in my circle. You're still a family member. Right. You're just not a family member in my circle. 
That's the only way. And, and I can love you, but I can love you from afar. <laughs> from afar. It, hey, 100%. The eighth step is to remember self-care. This means taking care of yourself. And there are eight dimensions of wellness. And all eight dimensions are equally important because you should really attempt to maintain a balanced level of health across all eight dimensions. And those dimensions are emotional, spiritual, intellectual, physical, environmental, financial, occupational, and social. Emotional is really your, kind of your, your mental health aspect. Spiritual, that doesn't mean that you have to go to church. That's how you spiritually connect, whether you're connecting with the earth or, you know, whatever your thought process is. Intellectual is obviously like educational, even if it's self-education. Obviously, physical would be your physical fitness. Environmental is the type of environment that you're in, if it's a healthy environment or not. Financial, and then occupational is obviously your job. And then social is your connections with other people. So healthy connections. Which of these eight dimensions are you killing it in? And which ones do you feel like maybe you're, you need more work? Where are you unbalanced? <laughs> Definitely the most unbalanced when it comes to financial. And that's because, so I'm the, the sole earner in my house. So that's, you know, that part is what it is. But, you know, then there's the part of me that was like, a, you know, I'm still hood rich, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Gator boots. I mean, I, you know, I ain't got no job, but I'm still fly. But <laughs> so that part is always very difficult because you have to balance being prepared for tomorrow with living for today. Right. Right. That part to me is just, it's kind of hard to do. And it's also difficult because, you know, I want my wife to have all the things. I want my kids to have all the things. Like I want them to have all the stuff, but I have to give them all the stuff that they want. You know, my daughter's like, uh, I want to go rock climbing after school and, and, uh, can I have some money to go eat sushi afterwards? And I'm like, job. I mean, yeah. but, <laughs> but I don't, I also don't want to say no because I want you to have that experience in life. You know, she wants to next year or something, they want to go to Japan and, and down under Australia, Australia yeah. for, at, at, for school. And my wife is like, God, it's going to be expensive. And I'm like, yeah, but it's the experience. Like get the money for her to go because of the experience, because maybe she never gets to go. I mean, I've never been to Australia. You know, so so you want them to have the life experience, but, you know, there's a the financial burden that comes with that. And so that's yeah. probably the hard part. I think for me, where I'm just completely killing it, I think is socially. Mm -hmm. And the reason I think that because even though I'm introverted, I have the people around me that, that help. Right. You know, right. like I have the people around me that, that make my life better. I just don't have a lot of, and, and the people that, there are people around me that are completely bullshit people, but I just don't fuck with them. Right. I mean, I just, I don't, there's no other way to put it. Like, I just yeah. don't like, ah, you know, whatever. Oh, we speak. Yeah. Yeah. But going about your business, like that, like yeah. that doesn't affect me. And the people that I talk to you two, um, the people I talk to on a regular basis that are around me, like I feel good about the people that are around me. I don't feel yeah. like there's anybody that's around me that is, you know, with designs on tearing me down. And that's what I guess is kind of big. Cause when we're talking about power struggles and, and the like, so many people today just want to tear you down. Yeah. Like, I don't want anything negative for any of the people that are around me, yeah. except men, if he's listening. <laughs> but, you know, I don't want anything negative for people that are around me. And if you just don't, you don't even have, just don't want anything negative to happen to me. Right. right. There's so many people that just, you know, oh, I hope you fall off a cliff. I hope you do <laughs> You know, just stop. Just want people to just let people be. You know what I'm right. saying? And, and so I, that's where I feel like I'm best because the people that are around me, I feel like, of people that I keep around me, I feel like I have a very good 
social connection and interaction with those people. And then everybody yeah. else was just, you know. I think since we've been here in Texas, I, this is where we've really improved because I think that's where we were lacking previously. And again, it's important who you're, who you're surrounded by that you have um, good, strong people that are going to push you. You don't just want a bunch of yes men around you who are going to be like, hey, you're doing enough. They're just kind of telling you what you want to hear. You want people who are going to tell you, no, man, you still got more in you. Right. Like, you can do more. Yeah. Or, that's what happened in California. Yeah. <laughs> in California? Yeah, well, Texas is the best state in the union. I don't know if anybody. I don't know if <laughs> well, I was born in but... Texas. I, I was born and raised in Texas. So okay, te- Texas is my, Texas you know. is my real home. Then you, then you know. <laughs> and actually with when we talk about like the social aspect, when we were in California, I went and did a an aura photo where they take a picture of your aura around you and it identifies like if your chakra is unbalanced and if there's things in there that shouldn't be. And then I also paid for a reading. And this guy was so spot on with a bunch of stuff. But one of the things that he does before you do your R reading after is he tries to clear your the, the different things that are in your aura. Worked perfectly well for everybody that was with us. However, with me, he retook the photo because he was so shocked that whatever he did didn't work. And one of the things that he had told me during the reading was that there are entities that are afraid of me that I choose my spirit guide wisely. And so when that happened, that's kind of what I thought of, like, I'm not just gonna let anybody like mess with my mojo. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know you. But also he had told me that, like I've always known that I'm an empath, that I pick up on people's emotions. And sometimes it's really hard because like, especially if somebody's hurting and I feel that, it makes me feel hurt. So I don't like being around negative people and stuff like that for that reason. But he told me that a lot of people will talk to me and feel better after they talk to me, but I'm left with their karma, with whatever that. So they've released it, and now I got it. And I'm like, dang, that's really dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to stay away from those people. (laughs) Yeah. When you you know that's that's a possibility, absolutely, that's 100%, because now you're going to have that negativity, and you're going to be carrying that around with you. What about you, Jose? Yeah. I would say, you know, where, where I'm lacking it the most is spiritual. And that's kind of been my goal for this year is really to connect more spiritually just because I feel like that's not an area where I like apply myself very much. Um, and so I think there's kind of a, a lack of connection to my spirituality. And I'm not I'm not religious in any kind of way and I'm not really connected to anything spiritually. So that's one of the areas where I've been kind of working on. Um, and I've been doing that by journaling and reading and that, that kind of stuff. And I know we talked about going doing an ayahuasca, like, yeah, you know, I what really I'm saying? Do that. it's on the agenda um, in terms of where I feel like I'm really killing it. I would say physical. And the reason why I say that is because like I was about 30 pounds overweight when I moved to Houston, you know what I'm saying? So right. um, and, and getting into jujitsu and training with the trainer and, and doing those things, I'm about, about to turn 50 in here in a few months. And, and I feel like I'm in the best shape that I've ever been. Uh, I'm doing jujitsu competitions and yeah, I got a hurt leg, but <laughs> that's part of the process that I love. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, you know, I'm going through that healing process, but I, I would say physically I'm killing it. And I, I think there's a, a few areas where I can continue to work on and, and get better in, in my eight dimensions. The ninth step is to learn how to relax. This can be accomplished in a variety of ways um, to include meditation, deep breathing exercises, listening to calming music, getting a massage, going for a walk. These are all methods of focusing on the present and quieting your mind. What do you do to quiet your mind? It just depends. It really does just depend. Now, one of the things that I don't do is um, I don't listen to a lot of calming music. Like before I compete, it's like if I'm too revved up, I may listen to, to something to calm myself down. But for the most part, like I just like to listen to music. It gets that vibe, you know, and sometimes it's, sometimes it's different. Like I'm, like you said, you're almost 50. So like 
sometimes I want to put on like some Isley Brothers or some, you know, some <laughs> Al Green. Like not because you know he's you know I got a feeling or anything, but maybe. But you know, <laughs> not because that. But you know, you just sometimes like like that's what I need. I need to hear some some rhythmic. Yeah. I need to. But then other times. Even when it's the Isley Brothers, you know, Ernie Isley is one of the best guitarists to ever pick up, you know, to pick up an act. So sometimes I just want to listen to him play the guitar. And, and right. you know, there's that. But then, you know, I also have video games. Like, it's a situation for me, like I said earlier, I've never done any substances. So I don't know. I don't know that aspect of, but I do know the aspect of getting out of reality. Right. And so I do that. Like, I'll plug into a video game and I put my headphones on. And I can't hear anything that's going on around me. I can only hear the video game. And now I'm immersed in this imaginary world. Yeah. But it takes me away from the world that I'm in for, you know, an hour, two hours, whatever, overnight if it's a good game. But, you know, whatever. You know, it, it takes me out. Sometimes it'll be going to watch movies just because there's that period. I don't like to watch movies about one of my wife's favorite movies, Color Purple. <laughs> I, I don't watch Color Purple. I don't want to see movies about slavery and like I just want like I want to see like there's a movie on a HBO Max called Free Guy where a guy's basically like walking he's like a living in a video game yeah, like I've seen it yeah yeah like <laughs> like let me see something that's complete bullshit yeah <laughs> let me watch something by Will Ferrell let me watch something that it just it's just not real yeah and that's the way that I kind of take myself out to relax because in that time there's no I'm just laughing at I'm just laughing right. at the screen right? yeah so yeah that helps a that's lot. good I know Crystal enjoys. Um, we we recently got some Oculus, and and she says she says this. She goes, uh, yeah. At the end of the day, I like to play this VR reality video game because it takes me out of all the day to day stuff. So it's like it, calming. Yeah, yeah, it's calming, and it allows you to stop thinking right. and change that mindset. Because if you go to bed and you're the whole time you're thinking of the problems for the day, like you're gonna take that to bed. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's it's. Plus, a I get to kill kill ogres with my bow and arrow, so that's yeah. fun. <laughs> well, see, and but that's the thing though. Like so now. For just this time period, like I'm not dealing with the stress of it. It may be a different type of stress because I'm pissed off because I didn't win the game or whatever. <laughs> right. But it's not real. Yeah. It's just a game. Like yep. it, you know. So yeah, I, that's, I like video games. Um, the 10th step is to remind yourself that perfection is not achievable. Oftentimes people who claim to be perfectionists run into challenges with meeting deadlines. If you find yourself overworking a project because it has to be perfect, you need to assess the reason why you're attempting perfection. You may find that you're actually afraid of failure, and being a perfectionist is just a cover. Learn to give yourself a realistic timeline, and when the project is completed to the best of your capabilities, turn it in. Learn to look at failure as an opportunity to learn and improve. Do you consider yourself a perfectionist, or do you know someone who does? I don't consider myself a perfectionist at all because I'm not really 100% sure what perfection is. So perfection is one of those things like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Right. You know, for example, a lot of people think Rihanna, the singer, is a stunning beauty. And I'm just like, yeah, average. Yeah. I, I mean, at best, like I, she just doesn't do anything for me. But so perfection is like it, it's too subjective. The perfect person for you yesterday's today, one person's garbage is another person's treasure or whatever. Yeah. So perfection is just just so subjective for me. What perfect is, I, I listen to this all the time. So you ever seen the movie Friday Night Lights mm-hmm. yeah. with Billy Bob Thornton? Yep. Remember what he talks about when he's in that room and he's talking about being perfect? He, so he's in the locker room in that movie and he says, I do all this talking about being perfect, but what being perfect is is knowing that you can look your loved ones in the eye and tell them that you did everything that you could possibly do. And if you can do that, then you're perfect. 
That's really like, 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 like that. I, I listen to it before I compete because that's what per- perfection to me is knowing that I gave everything that I could. Right. Doesn't mean that it's right. You know, maybe it's wrong. Maybe it wasn't enough. Maybe, but it was everything that I had. Right. And then, and that's it. You know, what's funny is when we were in Minnesota, I worked as a emergency management specialist for a region of, of hospitals and clinics. And I had to do exercises that are in line with like FEMA and the Department of Homeland Security. And we had one of one of the top threats there was um, active shooter incidents for hospitals. So I did training leading up. I did almost like a mini type um, exercise review before we did the actual exercise. And so one of the things that I required was that it was low or no notice, meaning that you weren't going to know that it was going to happen Friday at two o'clock because that doesn't make sense. That's not going to allow for me to assess like your capabilities. So when we did the exercise, I like to just kill whatever I do. Like I don't like to come in and, and do it halfway. So for me, when I put everything together, when everything was said and done, I felt like I could have made it better. So to me, I was kind of like, ah, it wasn't it. I I wish that I could have done more, but everybody who was part of it was like, that's the best that we've ever, you know, law enforcement was like, that's the best exercise that we've ever had. Like that was, that was awesome. And to me, I was like, that wasn't my best. I don't think. (laughs) Yeah. But I, you know, I think before I've probably identified myself as being a perfectionist. And I think that I have at times struggled to where I've not missed a deadline, but I've gotten really close to a deadline because I want it to look the best that it can possibly look. But I also don't think that, I don't know. I don't think that perfection really exists. Like you said, it's kind of in the eye of, you know, it's subjective. Uh, And I think sometimes when we're trying to achieve perfection, I don't disagree. I think there's always something that you can do to add to it and make it a little bit better. Like, for example, in this in that scenario that you just shared. Yeah, there's things that we could have done to improve that exercise. But that just gives you the opportunity to do that at the next exercise. You don't have to sacrifice this one because it's not exactly perfect the way that you envisioned it in your mind or you're always going to look at it and go, oh, man, it would have been nice if we had this or we had that or, you know, so it just gives you the opportunity to do that later. And it's really important to recognize that and go, you know what? I've given it my very, very, very best. This is what I have. I have to turn that in. And if you come up a little bit short, it's a learning opportunity. Right. It's like, okay, all right, yeah, you're right. I could have did that. I could have done this and I could have done that. So so on the next one, I'm going to make sure I do that, you know? So, okay, the 11th step is go on a vacation. Often we forget to take that much needed break from the day-to-day rat race, uh, the day-to-day grind in order to reset and avoid burnout. It's too easy to forget to work in time for your loved ones. Plan a vacation, buy the tickets in January, and commit to that vacation in September. Force yourself to take a much-needed break and leave your laptop and work phone at home. When was the last time you took a vacation? Bro, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so you need, you're due for a vacation. You're due I'm for a vacation. Least, I'm not even going to lie, man. Hey, we, 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 have a, uh, we have an available spot on our trip to the Dominican Republic in September, just so you know. Yeah, bro, just throwing it out there. I was, it's been a couple of reasons. So my daughter's three. So right. she was a year old. When she was a year old, she was a year, so it wasn't big on traveling for that year. Then right after she turned one, COVID. COVID. Yeah. So then there was a lockdown, so nobody was going anyplace. And so, you know, then everything started to ramp back up. And now she's a little bit older. And so I am planning, like we're planning a family reunion next year in August, the weekend of my birthday in the Bahamas. And I really want to take the baby home. So I'm planning vacations. It's just been kind of one of those things that the time didn't allow it. Um, now, I've been out of town because I was right. traveling all the time to go compete. 
but that's not really that's not really a true vacation. And I am one of those that has a very difficult time like leaving my work phone at home. Like I like Like you think it's gonna be that one time that something crazy is gonna happen and you're gonna miss it. <laughs> it's like the fear of missing out. Right. You know, I mean yeah. you know FOMO. It, yeah, FOMO. Yeah. Part of it is when especially when it comes to work, I don't want to ever be called to the carpet to something and not know what what was going on. Yeah. So I'm like, look, even if I don't go, constant back and forth of everything okay, what's going on? The, you know, they'll text me there's this, there's that. Just so that I can know because, you know, the DA may call and say, hey, what's up with this? Or I may get some media inquiry. Hey, what's up with this? And so I just like to know. But that's just like a comfort for me. So I haven't been on vacation in a very long time. But you do need the, you know, you do need the vacations. But that's what I, back to kind of circle back to what I was saying earlier. For me, though, to get that break, you know, if my daughter just wants to chill, then we're just going to chill. Yeah. Like I'm just going to take the day off staycation and chill <laughs> and, and, and that's it. And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll hang out, we'll do whatever. And I, you know, I'll put the phones down and tuck them away and then we'll just count blocks or read or whatever it is that she wants to do at the time yeah. just to kind of give myself that freedom from the world and, and some daddy daughter time. Yeah. That's, that's good. good. I know for us, it took us a long time to take a vacation. I think we went like almost 10 years, right? 10 years. Yeah. We've really been more deliberate about planning our vacations. And so m- my daughter's planned the last vacation that we went on to Cancun. And um, during that vacation, we selected the next place for the next vacation and we identified who's going to plan that vacation. So nice. we already started planning it at the end of the first vacation. Nice. So, and that's kind of how we're going to get after it. So. The 12th step is to get support from a mentor, a coach, or a leader. Gaining perspective is critical to managing stress. Speaking with someone who has dealt with the same issue that maybe that you are dealing with is a great way to get a deeper understanding of the challenges, the expectations, and the lessons learned. What's actually funny is I know that we were talking about, you know, taking a vacation. I had a mentor one time that that did a speech to a bunch of leaders about somebody who had gone through his whole military career and he didn't make a lot of memories with his family. He spent time with his family, but his family didn't have a lot of memories. And so he said that his biggest regret when he retired was the fact that he didn't make that a priority and that he should have. And that if he could go back in time, that he would make memories with his family, that that's, and he can never get that back. That's lost for him. So when I heard that, that made me think about the fact that even if you don't have a lot of time, depending on, you know, what's going on in your schedule, you have to be very deliberate. So like for us, for work, there's always stuff to do. And we could stay at work and say, oh, we're going to work late today. We have so much stuff to do, but we have a cutoff time. And so if we're not done by a certain time, unless it's something that's critical, we leave. It doesn't matter because then you start getting into where you are not spending time with your family and you're not living in accordance with your values. You right. Know? So that's my little two cents. But how about you guys? Like what, you know, what's your go-to when you're stressed out? Is there anybody that you talk to that like helps you de-stress or anybody that gives you advice about dealing with? So now this wasn't on the list of the eight because if there was going to be like a failure point for me, it would be this. So I watch my parents, like I watch them and I try to learn from their mistakes and I try to learn from their successes and one of the things that I always when whenever something good happens in my life I always say with jiu-jitsu or not I always say on the shoulder of giants right and for people to know it's like on the shoulder of on standing on the shoulder of giants we can see further but I don't go and talk to anybody and that's like a personal flaw because I feel like when you let people in too close now people have something they can use against you 
right? right? And so it's just kind of like a that's like a it's like a trust issue. It's a but that's one hundred percent a personal flaw, and I, and I know it is. You know, even I mentioned my friend who's a counselor. You know, at one point she was like, "Well, you should probably go see somebody." I was like, "And you should probably mind your business," you know, <laughs> just you know, because it's just just opening up, giving that level of vulnerability, right? right? Like that's really hard to do in a number. It's it's hard because it's hard to do as a man because, you know, we were raised, you don't cry, you don't do this, you don't do that. You know, whatever. So it's hard to do as a man and it's hard to do as someone with some modicum of something to lose because if I let you in, now you know where you can take. That is 100% a personal flaw of mine. And so my mentors, as it were, and my godmother was the first African-American federal court judge in the Southern District of Texas. My godfather, that's Gabrielle McDonald. My godfather's Craig Washington, who he is one of the, he's everybody's mentor. Right. He's that guy. Yeah. He's just, he's tried so many cases. I've, you know, raised around senators and mayors and just all kind of, but I just can't ever go to them and say, hey, I feel like this, what should I do? Right. And so it leaves me in a situation where a lot of times, like I'm floundering around for the answer, yeah. right? Uh, and trying to figure it out on my own. And there's good. It's good when you can figure it out on your own because you're like, hey, look, I like look what I did. I did it. But it's also bad because it takes more time. Yeah. Because you try to do it on your own. It's the long way. Right. It's the long way. And so if it was anything that I could do, I would. But but I also try to go talk to kids at school because yeah. I understand the value of being a mentor. And I understand the value of having that person to look up to, again, stupid social media stuff. But there's a thing uh, on social media, it's kind of a trend that says, why do you stop and talk to kids when you're in your car? And it's because I remember when I was that kid kid. looking at the car, you know, and so I try to I try to be the adult that I needed when I was when I was a kid, you know, but I, I know that that it's a flaw. You know, I heard actually Tony Robbins the other day, um, an interview he was doing with somebody where he talked about how um, his mom was very abusive and she's passed away like when he had this interview and he said he had never talked about the situation with her. It was always something that he never opened up about. And he said he went to speak to some kids and he said, of course, the kids see him as being this rich white guy, you know, who just has everything going for him and he doesn't have any flaws. And so he said he just felt like sharing his story because he knew that some of those kids had some of those situations and he said i wanted them to see me as relatable you know like i'm not any different from you so you can be where i'm at even if you're flawed or even if you've been through these things and that's where i think that those stories are very powerful because a lot of people don't open up and so when you share your story it can impact somebody in a way that you just have no idea. Like they could be at their breaking point and your story could pull them out of that. Cause they're like, man, right. look, look at where he is or look at where she is. I, what, what I'm experiencing right now, I can make it through like they're proof, you know? And, but I do think that it's hard. And I know that I've struggled with it. And still, even now I struggle with it sometimes, even with family to be open about certain things because of the vulnerability and not even like, I'm not worried about somebody judging me. Like not even that. I think it's, you know, like you said, like feeling exposed, feeling like somebody could attack you where they feel like it's a weakness. But I also feel like being vulnerable is also a strength. And it's almost tactical in the way, because if it's out there, they can't really like, right. you know, they can't really use it against you. So I think that 
you know, like a politician, if they already know everything that you've, if you've already put it out there yourself, they can't twist anything. You've already put it out there. It's out there. Right. So you've controlled the narrative basically. Yeah. So how about you? You know, I, I went through my whole military career with, with no mentor. And, and I was, I think I was in the kind of the same situation as, as you, Jules, where, where I was like, well, at the beginning of my military career, I put too much of myself out for the public consumption, right? And so they used that information against me, right? right? So they're like, oh, you came from a bad neighborhood, you were involved in this and you did these things. Oh, you're a bad person. Right. Um, and so that was the perception and that's what I had to deal with. But I was a changed person. They would not let me leave that behind, right? So they, they kept reminding me of that over and over again and they were using it to, to stop my progress in my progression, in my career. So I learned from that, that I had to close hold that Right. So I, I learned from that lesson, right? So, um, so I went the rest of my career doing everything alone. And yeah, it's the long route. I had to figure it out on my own. I had to do the research. I had to make the moves. I had to, but as I got higher up in my career and I built those stronger relationships with people who were ahead of me, right? then that allowed me to kind of change like what was going on. Like, you know, because now I, I know someone and it was someone who came from a similar background as me. Right. Who had succeeded. So you have to find that person that is like you, but ahead of you. You know what right. I'm saying? And and that's not um, that's not an easy thing to do. Like that's it's almost like a unicorn. Right. right, right, right. But when you when you gravitate and I'll, I'll tell you, I'm a mentor to someone who the, the guy that we interviewed on the last podcast, AJ, I'm AJ's mentor. And AJ came from a from a position where me and AJ came from the same exact background. You know what right. I'm saying? The difference between my journey and his journey is luck. Right. He got unlucky and he went to prison. I got lucky. I went into the military. I went in one trajectory. He went in another, you know, but we're the same. We started off as the same person. Right. So when he sees me, he's like, oh, I can relate with this guy. I know what this guy has been through, you know, and then we still had to build a relationship of trust and confidence and that and that kind of stuff. And I think that's really critical and really important in finding a good mentor is to find someone that you trust, right. that you had that relationship with. Until you have that, you don't have you don't really have that mentorship relationship, you know. Um, and so my mentor has a, came also from the similar background, and this is a person who will straight shoot me. He'll he'll tell me the truth. He's not gonna sugarcoat it. Right. If I'm fucking up, he's gonna tell me, dude, you fucked up. Right. That was a bad decision. Or hey, you're going in the wrong direction. You know, right. you're not doing that. And and this is the guy who sat me down and go, hey, listen. And this is such a simple thing. Hey, uh, you need to address the success. You need to get yourself a suit. You need to get this suit, this suit, you know, th these colors. You need to get the, these shoes because when you present yourself, you're at a different level. You, right. But if he never would have told me that, I probably still wouldn't own a suit yet. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, and I was able to then take that same information and hand it down to the person that I'm mentoring. You know what I'm saying? And he would be in the same situation. In the podcast, he talked about it. He's like, hey, look, that took me to another level because I, I figure I'm going in for a warehouse job. I'm going to wear boots, jeans, and, and a t-shirt. I'm, I'm in the warehouse. Right. But you don't want to be the the associate. You want to be the manager. Right. You need to show up like you want to be the manager. You know what I'm saying? Like so, it's a uh, it's just something that I, I think we all have to work on that. You know, and be better yeah. at that. So, uh, the thirteenth step is to seek professional help. That can be in the form of counseling, such as marriage counseling. Um, if the stressors of marriage are weighing weighing in on you and your relationship, it could be psychological or psychiatric counseling. If the job is emotionally and psychologically taxing, it could also be spiritual counseling. What are your thoughts on seeking counseling? I 100% think that people should talk to somebody. Yeah. I, I just like, like you, sh you should have somebody that you can talk to. Now, having said that, 
<laughs> I, you know, I'm like, man, I ain't gonna talk to him. Like, I'm not doing it. But no, but I think that you need to do it because one, I think that the benefit of professional counselors is this. A lot of times what people carry with them and what they're carrying is just because they won't unload it. Right. It's not that you need to do anything. It's not Put it you, in your backpack and you, you carry it everywhere. You just need to <laughs> unload it. You need to, Erica, but bag, lady. Like, you just need to let it go. Just put it out there so that you can be done with it. Because now this, I never did the counseling, but this happened. This long thing with my ex-wife. And I remember my grandmother said to me once when I was like 13 or 14, she was like, baby, are you still mean? Because I used to be, I wasn't even like, I mean, it, the drop of the hat, I couldn't take stuff back to the store without flipping my shit and getting into a fight with somebody. Right. Like, I, like my temper was amazing. Yeah. And there was one time my ex-wife, we got into an argument and she left. But when she left, she came back to the house. And she came back to the house with my parents. And I was like, I remember, I was like, y'all came to protect this bitch from me? Like, <laughs> y'all were afraid that I was going to. And I remember getting so mad. I was so upset that I was on the floor, sweating, and couldn't catch my breath. Like, I was pissed. And I remember laying there in that moment like, I'm going to die on the floor under the dining room table. I'm gonna, <laughs> no, I, I'm, I was like, I'm going to die right here. Because I, could, I, I couldn't catch my breath. I was so and then at that point, that's when I was like, okay, look, like you need to adjust what you, like you can't get this mad. Like right. you can't, you can't get this upset about stuff. You need to figure it out. And so now I didn't figure it out with any professional help. I just started caring about a lot less shit. Right. right? Like, what made like, you so mad? Was it loyalty? It, well, it was because, and this is going to seem weird, but we were arguing. And I remember I was, I was sitting on the couch watching football when she left. Like we argued and she left and then you went and you got my parents and then you came back and it was like y'all were protecting her so that she could leave because she left to come get y'all. So right. what does she need protection from? And it was like, I'm the bad guy. Right. Okay. Okay. Let me, let me yeah. say goodnight to the bad guy. Like I, yeah. like I flipped my shit. <laughs> like, I mean, I completely flipped my shit like 100%. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well fine. Y'all can have her, like, y'all can all get, the, I was like, I, I mean, literally, like, just like Mark, y'all can all get the fuck out. Mm -hmm. Like, I said it, like, the whole thing, but I was, and I was like, you know what? You need to figure your shit out. Like, you need to calm down because you can't stroke out for dumb shit. Right. Like, you knew that she wasn't in any danger. She knew she wasn't in any danger. She was just fucking overdramatic. Right. Right? And you knew that, but you still lost control and put yourself in a bad situation. Like, I mean, I, it was, when I tell you I was, I was sweating, my heart was, like, I could, like, I was under the table thinking, I was like, I'm going to die under this table. So you definitely need to figure out how to get that out. Yeah. Like, and you, you don't need to carry it with you. And sometimes we'll take the long road and we figure it out on our own. And sometimes we just have that sounding board. Like we have our spouses and the problem with spouses, especially, and this is especially for women, it's especially for women. When women want to sound off to their husband. They want to fix it. Their husband wants to fix it because yeah. that's what we are. We're we're protectors. We're fixers. Like, oh, that bitch at work fucking with you. Let me go fuck this bitch up. Like that's like that's our first. Like that's our first thing. Is like, how do we? That's fix always the problem? my first thing. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, it's just like it's like how do we fix the problem? And that's a lot of times that's not what she needs. She just needs to right. get it off her chest. But we're like, okay, it's a problem. Let me go fix it. 
Yeah, because and and, and if you don't want are, me to fix it, why are you telling me? Right, right. Like, <laughs> like, and and especially, and it sounds like me and Joe are, are really similar because I grew up in my family like I was the pit bull. So whenever something went wrong and they were like, "Oh, we got we need a problem," they were like, "Somebody take Jules' collar off, let him loose." Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, "Okay, here I go." And so, so it's hard to like, it's hard to get out of that. Yeah. Like, it's hard to get out of that role. Sometimes you need that sounding board, and then for a lot of guys, it's opposite when they want to sound off to their wife because. You're sounding off to your wife and want support like you need her to say, I got you. But 100. then as a, as a guy, you're also like, but is she going to think I'm weak because I need her help? Like you don't sound off and you just sit there and now you have all this stuff building and building and building on you. So so we have to take out of our and that's just inherent. Like men are inherently like we're hunters, we're gatherers, we're fixers, we're providers. Right. So that's what we do. And women are nurturers, so you start telling her what's wrong, she's going to start with the, you know, baby, it's okay, it'll be fine, it'll be, but then it makes you feel like like maybe you're weak because right. then you don't want that perception. So you just have to accept it. You have to find somebody that you can sound off to. That's why, all that to say, uh, long-winded, I'm an attorney, um, all, <laughs> all that to say that that's what's so good about professional counselors because yeah. if a woman comes in, you know, they, they just let them talk. Mm-hmm. If a man comes in... They kind of give that, and you don't have to worry about looking like a bitch because right. when you walk out of the office, they're just going to close the door, and you don't, you know, you don't have to worry that, right. that your wife, your, your wife didn't see you cry, so you're, you know, you're right. still tough man. And so that's the good thing about professional counselors. Whatever it is, though, I say, find a place, unpack it, and go. No, I agree. You know, I think in any relationship, not just a marriage, but I think it's important for you to be like a team, and sometimes one of you is feeling weak and the other one has to give you strength and vice versa. And I don't think it matters if you're, if you're a man, a woman, a child, I think that we all experience a lot of the same emotions. And so when, if you're feeling weak, you should be able to go to your teammate and say, you know, this is, this is how I'm feeling and them to help you get through that, you know, to explain that, Hey, everything's going to be okay. You're, I, I realize that this looks really bad right now or it feels really bad right now, but like, you got this, you know, we're going to get through this. And I don't think it's a weakness at all. I think it's a strength again to be, cause I think it's, it's being vulnerable. I think it's a strength. One area where, and I had talked about this before, where I felt like I could have been better with my kids is being vulnerable. So I went into the military. I've always been tough. I was always a tomboy. Sometimes, especially with my son, my oldest son, he had a lot of issues as a teenager and he would get in trouble and I had a hard time being vulnerable emotionally. So I was the tough mom. And during those moments, I think that what he needed was for me to be vulnerable and I wasn't. And um, he had actually told me that that was something I needed to work on. He said, they can't always see you as being indestructible. Like they need to see that you have moments of weakness too, right. you know, that it's not just them, that there's not something wrong with them. And so I think that that's important. That's something that I've really grown. I, I think a lot of parents think that they need to be strong for their kids. And so as you're raising your children, you're showing them strength because you want them to be strong. And then what you don't do is you don't show them how to deal with those emotions that are going to come. You're going to be angry. You're going to be sad. You're going to be mad. You know, all that's going to come. And if they never experience it with you, then they don't know how to experience it. You know right. what I'm saying? So so I think it's important that you're not always strong, that when you show that you can be sad, that allows your child to be sad. Right. You know what I'm saying? And it allows you to, you know, to have those those moments 
where you tell them how to be resilient from that, whatever that, that pain is, you know? And I think that when I was watching Crystal's relationships with her children, I saw her always being the strong person, but then she would come to me and I would see the emotion. Right. You know what I'm saying? And I would be like, man, but they don't know right. that hurts you that way. You know, they're not seeing that part of you. They're seeing, man, my mom is tough. I can tell her F off. Like, you know what I'm saying? And, and she takes it because she's strong, but it hurts your feelings. You right. know what I'm saying? Like, and you're not seeing it. And so um, I, I think there's a, there's a, a lot to be said with showing some vulnerability, not being a weak parent, but showing some vulnerability in terms of emotions. And them no, we, we 100% fuck up our kids in so many different ways because one of the things that we don't do is we don't let the kids see mommy and daddy argue. Right. But that's how you like that's how you learn how to get along in a disagreement right. yeah like if you never see it and, and i'm not saying and not have an unrealistic expectation right that a relationship is supposed to be perfect <laughs> right i'm not saying that you, you daddy should stand over mom and punch in the face right. nothing like but you right. you need to see what a disagreement actually looks like and see the way adults handle disagreements my dad it took me forever so so my dad's a lot like joe in the sense that he's loud as shit all the time like he just he just he like he takes the phone he puts the microphone up to his mouth and then he starts yelling into it and it's like dude it's a microphone like you don't have to yell into it he's just he's just incredibly loud right he's got a big booming voice but growing up i always thought my dad was yelling at me like it I wasn't so it was just he was voice. just it was just his voice but i also never really got to see my dad upset to see him yell to be able to differentiate what his vocal tones actually were Right. And so, and I never saw him and my mother get into an argument. So, you know, you don't know what it's like. Now, growing up, I knew my dad loved me because I had everything. Right. But I remember hugging my dad and him standing there with his arms down by his side. Like, why is it on me? Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you get this different, like you said, unreal expectation. Like, parents don't argue. Daddies are like this. Mommies are like right. this. And it takes a long time to really realize and grow into into knowing what goes on and it's just it's just kids watch and they see yeah that's how you learn from little to deal with stress i never i know that my dad and my mom had stress coming up i mean my mom was in the 70s she was a lawyer in the 70s when they were wow. like why are you wearing pants you're a woman right you know that type of shit but i never got to see her actually deal with the stress right and so that's how come you get these weird, like, you don't know how to deal with them because you don't, you don't really have an example that shows how to deal with them. So, Plus you start thinking you're different, like, I'm the only one. I'm the only right. one that's, you know, this must be weak because nobody else, nobody else is experiencing this. <laughs> so uh, this is the way to it, but it's true, it's true. So when I was in elementary school, a little guy in elementary school, and I don't know if you remember, but back, back then, the elementary school bathroom stalls didn't have doors on them. Right. And so every now and again, like my stomach would hurt. I'd have to go to the restroom. So I'd go in the stall. But whenever I would go in the restroom, I would never see any of the white kids in any of the stalls. And for the longest, I only thought I thought that only black people like, like had upset all, stomachs. Like I, I was like, I was like, nobody else does this because I was I would never see. It. And because I was in a predominantly white school, I was embarrassed by it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And they it, held it, it till they went home, didn't it, they? It's the, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't, I don't, but you know, like that's the kind of thing that that you don't really realize the effect that yeah. there is on kids with stuff that happens. But for I mean, when I tell you for the longest, I mean for the longest, I was like, this is, this is just like a like the burden of being black. You have to have bowel movements. Like it, we just, it's it's yeah, it's it's a lot, man. My brain. 
it's, it's funny. Off. That's really funny. <laughs> my brain is off. Man. I was going to say in the military, one of the things that they would say is that you complain up, not down. So you never complain to your subordinates. And I've also seen where you'll see quotes where people will say um, how lonely it is at the top. And I think the reason for that is because when you get to a certain level, you feel like you can't, like you don't have a, a peer or somebody higher who you can bring your garbage to and say, right. hey, I need to vent. You started to see um, while we were in Afghanistan, because we were there for so long, where you would have top level commanders committing suicides in the bathroom or, you know, because they couldn't release that stress that they had. They couldn't, there was nobody for them to go and talk to and say, hey, I'm experiencing this. How do I deal with this? And at the time, um, they're, they're trying to, to change kind of the thought there it was looked at as a weakness to seek help so to right, seek help yeah. was you know you you obviously can't deal with your right. with your job and with your duties and something's wrong with you so right. they're trying to change that now yeah and, and i've actually i've i've been in counseling and i tell you i recommend counseling for everybody and the reason why is because a lot of times when you share anything personal that you're going through, any, any anything traumatic or anything that's bothering you or that's weighing you down, you share that with somebody, like you said, now they have that ammunition against you, right? Um, especially if it's somebody personal who's like a friend or a confidant or whatever. But when you share it with a counselor, there's no judgment. Right. They're a you, stranger. <laughs> you don't care about their opinion of you. You're paying them. They're right. basically your employee, right? right. You're, you're, hired, you're hiring them to be able to unload and then to give you it. It's like, it's like going to a lawyer. Right. Hey, look, this is my trauma. What can I do about this to get better and get over this? You know what I'm saying? And, and for me, it was, it was because of PTSD. And, and when I came back from my first deployment, I was suffering from PTSD. And the way that I was kind of displaying it was in very dangerous behavior. So I was just doing things, get my adrenaline back up to where it was when I was deployed. And I would do things like speed, like 100 miles an hour, or go to neighborhoods where I sh have no business in by myself, looking for a fight. Like, you know, I was right. doing those things. And so I didn't realize that I was expressing any type of PTSD behavior. I just knew that I was continuously getting in, into situations where I was like, afterwards, I'd be like, man, why did I do that? That was dumb. Right. And so somebody said, hey, you should go talk to somebody. Like, you know, that might be PTSD. And so I went to go talk to a counselor and he was like, Look, I want you to write down every time that you have an episode like this, like where you do, where you, you put yourself in a bad situation. And as, as I started doing it, I started tracking it. I started to realize when I would, you know, I start driving, and as soon as I get into my mind, boom, I'm 100 miles an hour. It's not intentional, you know. Right. But that kind of helped me identify what I was looking for—that adrenaline rush—and and then I was able to find a way to kind of get that rush somewhere safer in a safer way. Last but not least, step 14, learn to laugh at yourself, learn to find humor in your minor mistakes, learn to take everything not so serious all the time, learn to take things not so personal either, and make it to where everything upsets you and everything offends you. How do you find humor in your day to day and how does it make you feel? You talk to men. <laughs> yeah. I remember <laughs> really, like, names. Yeah. <laughs> so that for me, it's, it's the weirdest thing because I'm on social media a lot but I'm on because of the the meme outlet. Like you can just, like if I just need a break from the day, you can go on and find, you know, some- 50 cent hanging upside down. Right, some, <laughs> you know, some dog humping a pillow or something to some weird song and you're like, oh, that's funny. And you know, it just, just so that you can kind of take a break. Like for me, it's those little moments of, you know, like I said, I'm a 70s baby, so I'm, I'm Star Wars. You know what I'm saying? Like those little moments of like, 
there's never going to be an admiral on a spaceship that looks like a fish saying, <laughs> go into, you, you know, like that's not, that's, but that's where you have to find, like, that's just the little breathers in the day. And I'll do it like just in the middle of the day, like in the middle of the day, I'm like, oh, this is way too much. Because like I said, at, at work, I mean, I deal with death and destruction. Right. And it's not just regular death and destruction that you get from criminal law, but this is like the police killing people. So maybe they deserved one or two hits, but they didn't deserve to be shot. Every, it's everybody's worst day. This guy's right. worst day because he was committing the crime. This guy's worst day because you basically sacrificed your career to beat this guy up when you could have just been like, you know what, he's running, just let him run. I don't have yeah. to shoot him because he's running. And so you, you need like frequent breaks from that whole, you know, I watched the police chase the other, it was a police chase, but the guy ran, ran from the cops, ran an intersection, blew through, killed just a guy that was driving down the street in a car. It had nothing to do with right. it. And then here I am looking at the photos of that and I'm like, oh, God damn. And so you do that and then you decompress, op open up Instagram and look at memes about toothpaste. I mean, you, you whatever it is, but but you have to do it because if you don't if you don't take the breaks as you need to then your bag gets heavier and it's harder to like now it's it's here I'm weighing on it I'm not releasing it immediately I'm holding it and the longer you hold it the bigger that powder keg gets mm -hmm. and before you know it you're walking around in neighborhoods you don't belong in picking fights with people <laughs> i actually um in the military i was a i was a medic and so i've seen a lot of really um disturbing things that people do obviously during wartime but i know first of all i'm going to say medical people can find anything to laugh at and it seems oh. completely inappropriate yeah. but it's part of dealing with the stress of the job and when we were in stockton california there was somebody down the street from one of the warehouses that we worked at he was riding a bike and he got ran over on this bridge. And what I laughed at wasn't the fact that he got run over, it was the fact that he got run over twice. So the person who pulled over to help him didn't try to move him out of the street. So he was run over twice. And I was like, how do you get run over twice? Right. Like <laughs> once wasn't bad enough, you got run over twice. And that kind of made me laugh. I was like, and so somebody that worked for us was like, that is so wrong. And so I kind of, I explained to him my background and I'm like, it's just part of dealing with the reality of what's going on. Like, obviously I don't find it funny that the guy got hurt, you right. know, but just the heavier, sense of I humor. feel like the heavier the job is, the more demented your sense of humor gets because part of it, like when you compartmentalize, like that's part of the compartmentalization. I have to figure out how to deal with this. Like I have to find a way to deal with this. And that's also the reason why lawyers and doctors and God, I can't remember the other one it's lawyers and doctors they have a really high instances of substance abuse in their careers because mm -hmm. what you deal with is so heavy <laughs> that you have <laughs> yeah. that you end up like I, I just need a break from this and right. you yeah. end up with these really warped senses of humor yeah and if you walk around like a criminal law firm like the stuff that you hear you're like holy it's dark it's super dark yeah. but it's because it's you're in a dark place already and so any levity is very dark right you know you're not you're like oh look the guy's dead what about a unicorn like, what's wrong with you you're a weirdo it's it's always something else it's like, yeah, so yeah I, it's, I, coping. I it. yeah, it's coping it's a coping mechanism it's, it's coping. 100 and uh and you see it a lot in the military you see it a lot uh, in medical the medical field like yeah 100 right. or you can find a like a sidekick yeah. and see i have a sidekick <laughs> yeah right small like a very slight <laughs> asian guy he's very tiny 
um, little guy. And so y'all are like rush hour. He has a, he has a huge Chan. sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a huge bald head. <laughs> little, shiny. Oh, super shiny. But that's, but that, but you know, you had, there's somebody <laughs> that can be close to you. Right. That helps you with the, like helps your humor. Like when you're having yeah. a bad day, you know, your spouse, somebody can be anybody, but somebody who knows when you walk in the house and they're like, they can just look at you and tell like, Oh, this day didn't go well. Let me tell them about this funny thing that I saw on TV. Right. Just to know, like you need it. Like, and sometimes you can't see it yourself, but maybe you need somebody to shine the light on the door so that you can know how to get out of that dark hole. That's, yeah. that's good. Yeah, that's true. MP Neary says one of the best ways to reduce stress is to accept the things that you cannot control. In a world where so much is out of our control, it is important to focus our efforts on those things that we can control and influence and accept those things that we cannot. Jules, do you have any advice for anyone who may be listening who is dealing with a either a stressful workplace, a stressful home, or stress in general? Literally what you just said. Like, if you can control it, if you can control it, then you need to control it. Like, figure out how to make that work for you. If you can't control it, then you need to figure out how to work in that situation. And everybody's home life is stressful. But when it gets to that point where when I'm arguing with my wife, if that argument like gets super bad, I leave. Like right. I'm just like I'm I'm done with it. I'm I'm done talking about it. Like I don't want to talk about it anymore. We can talk about it later. It's not settled, but right now it's too much. Right. And then you just leave. If you're working in a job and you just like this is just not the place, it's time to switch because you're all you have. So you need to take care of yourself. Like, and you, you have to take that time, like we talked about a little while ago and, and do those things for self-help. Like some of those things mean abandoning. Like sometimes self-help is to abandon a bad situation. Yeah. And that could be your job. That could be a bad relationship. That could be a shitty car. Like just leave it. Like if, if it's stressing you out to the point where like you're getting to the, it's hard to function, just leave it. And if it's something that you can't leave, then you need to evaluate why. Like you will always be this child's parent, right? right. So you can't do like, like well, I'm not your parent anymore. You know, so you can't do that. But now you need to figure out what the issue is. Let's let's try to address the stressors. But I don't always have to be your employee. Right. I, I have to be your employee until I find a place to be somebody else's employee. <laughs> I have to be your employee until I open my own business. Right. But I don't always have to be here putting up with your shit. Right. So if you can control it, make it work for you. And if you can't, then you either need to figure out how to work in a situation or get out of the situation. And there's nothing wrong with people think that changing the situation, like, like I'm running from a problem. No, you're not. You're alleviating the problem. Right. Like solving a problem doesn't mean you stuck there and you beat it. This is over. Like, I don't need this. Right. Right. And live life, man, life is way, way too short to have to deal with a bunch of stuff be stressed out about stuff you can't control. I don't know why they make me sign these timesheets. All right. I mean, if you're going to work there, you got to sign timesheets. I don't yeah. know. I don't, I don't know what to say. Not that big of a deal. Yeah. Like you're you, getting paid. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to deal with it, but you also don't have to deal with, you know, the boss that every time you do something wrong, calls you a stupid asshole. Right. right. And sometimes it's the most direct path because what I've learned is you can tell people like you, you're not going to talk to me like that. Right. Yeah. And if they continue to, then you need to figure out what it is because you can't control the way they talk to you, right. but you can control your response. Right. So if you come in my office mad because you didn't get the TPS report and you say, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm just going to choose not to look up because I'm not sure who the fuck you're talking to. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, like, 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, when you address me like an adult, we'll have an adult conversation. But if you're going to talk to me like somebody on the street, I'm going to ignore you like I ignore the people on the street. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and so that's just, and, and it's kind of been pervasive throughout this conversation. But I say, if you can control it, control it. If not, you know, you just can't, you can't be bothered with trying to control other people, mold them into what mm -hmm. you want them to be. If they're not what you want them to be, they're not what you need them to be then they don't need to be around you. Right. You know, it's easy. And I think it's like being a chess player. You have to be, you know, three, four steps ahead of the other person or ahead, ahead of the situation. So, you know, Murphy's Law, things are bound to happen. So right. you, have to, you have to think about that ahead of time. Like when you were talking about earlier, the different scenarios with if they say this, if they say this in the courtroom, how am I going to respond? It's the same thing when you make plans for anything. And sometimes, well, I won't even say sometimes, Getting to know yourself is the hardest person to get to know because you learn through the years what you're willing to accept, what you're not willing to accept, what pushes your buttons, what doesn't, what allows you to alleviate stress, what doesn't, all those different things. If you need to remove yourself from the home because you get in an argument because you know that you have maybe, you know, the potential for really high anger, you know, maybe you go from zero to 100 really fast like somebody else and so he calls it passion i'm, just passionate. <laughs> I'm passionate i'm not angry i'm just passionate um, but you know getting to know yourself is i think one of the hardest things but i think it's a very important thing and it's very important for your self-care because being aware of who you are and what makes you tick is the key to you being strategic with yourself and with your situations well like uh, joe was saying earlier it's also a continuing process because you continue to grow right what was okay when you were 18 not as okay when you're 28 right. then you're 38 and you're like what in the hell was i thinking so you have to not just think i've made it i know everything that i am because what i would have accepted then i won't accept now what i won't accept now would have been fine back then you know so you just have to allow yourself that that room to grow and learn about learn and understand your growth right even things like, you know, I, I hear young kids say things like, I'm not going to let that person disrespect me. And so they'll get in a fight, like a physical fight. It's not worth it. And as you get older, you realize, yeah, it ain't worth it. It's not worth getting arrested. It's not worth, like, none of that stuff is worth it. So, okay, you called me a name. You said something. I'm not ever going to see you again. I really could care less. I'm just going to walk away. Like, not a big deal. Yeah, I think it's, that's important. So now it's time to level up. If the stressors from your job have you calling in sick once a week, maybe three times a week for some people, <laughs> and there's absolutely nothing wrong with you, then this is your call to action. If the stressors from your family have you arguing with your spouse and yelling at the kids for no good reason, this also is a call of action for you. If your financial situation has you laying in bed awake, thinking about bill collectors and overdue student loans, then this is a call to action for you. If there are any stressors that have begun to feel overwhelming, then I challenge you to download the Super Better app or visit the superbetter.com website. Links are in the show notes. This is the leading mental health app that focuses on building your mental toughness, reducing stress and anxiety, and helping us to develop stronger minds when it comes to managing stress through some creative and exciting gameplay. It's a fun way to manage stress like a boss. Jules, thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule to join us for today's show. Sharing how you manage stress like a boss has given us a lot that we can work on and deal with stress. Managing stress is definitely something that we all need to get better at for sure. You continue to be a key member of our power circle and a mentor, and we truly appreciate your friendship and your guidance. We hope to have you back on our podcast again in the future for sure. Appreciate you, man. For sure. 
Anytime. Stress is unavoidable. We'll encounter a million different stressors in our lives. In the end, it's not the absence of stress that we're seeking, but the ability to handle stress in ways that allow us to remain resilient while maintaining a healthy lifestyle and dealing with stress in a positive manner. If you are finding yourself stressed out, on the verge of burnout, and becoming overwhelmed, remember to find time to recharge, reset your internal batteries, maintain a positive mindset when dealing with challenges and opportunities. Remember to self-care by focusing on your health and your wellness, but most importantly, Learn to find the humor in your everyday experience. Learn to laugh and not take things so serious as you level up. Level up.